When lame Dr. Donald Blake strikes his wooden walking stick upon the ground, it becomes the mystic mallet Mjolnir, and Blake is transformed into the Norse god of thunder, master of the storm and lightning, heir to the throne of immortal Asgard. This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1614. Spotlight on the mighty Thor in the Silver Age. Across the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar, you'll behold in breathless wonder the god of thunder, mighty Thor. Welcome to the show. I'm Brian Christman. I'm Shane Kelly. I be Adam Murdo. And I'm Chris Everly. And, and somewhere from the other side of a rainbow bridge, Jamie D is smiling. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and once again, we come back to our Spotlight series at the home of Mr. Everly. This time, talking about the mighty Thor in the Silver Age. Aye. Looking forward to, <laughs> looking forward to this. Very much. Barely, yeah, let's get that all out of the way. <laughs> oh, holy crap. Oi. Oh, great Odin's Raven. Old chestnut there we have. <laughs> Wait, what is that from? That, that, remember when you used to play with sexy bitches way back in the yeah, day? Yeah. They used that every now and then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fun with the soundboard in those days. <laughs> Say, what else am I going to get to use that? <laughs> Not <laughs> that often, admittedly. <laughs> Uh, anyway, well, before we get to uh, out of the uh, craziness here, uh, or into the craziness, uh, this episode of Comic Geek Speak is brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com. You can go to for all of your superhero stuff. Yes. For the geek lover in you, or anyone you know, they are the place to go for anything related to geekdom. And, of course, they have their Thor stuff. And a quick search shows up here. The first thing... Thor crew socks with capes. Oh, nice. Wow. Oh, my God. They've if you got... have hammer toes, it's perfect. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. They've got <laughs> Thor throwing stickers. They've got, of course, many, many T-shirts, uh, pants, um, um, cosmic art canvas. Wow, which likes a Thor cover of issue 160 with Galactus, which we'll get to later in this episode. And now, Galactus. A Thor hammer wristband. They've got buttons, of course, of the classic Thor and the new Lady Thor as well. Blankets, uh, costumes for toddlers. Oh, just awesome stuff. Action figures for Thor. And of course, for almost any other geek to uh-huh. superheroes, science fiction, you know, Doctor Who, X-Files, Star Trek, Star Wars, you name it, they've got it. They're in the convention circuit this year. They were just down at Supercon in Florida nice. not too long ago. They were also, I believe, out in Denver. Uh, so check them out, SuperheroStuff.com. And go too for all of your... Superhero stuff. stuff. <laughs> I have a pair of Batman socks with capes. They're fantastical. Nice. And so one of my things I missed about you, because I haven't seen you in a while, is your use of the word fantastical. <laughs> Copyright shame. That's one of my favorite made-up words. <laughs> Outstanding. Sorry, Pants, go ahead. No, that's all right. Um, and one more thing, one more announcement, if you will, before we get too far along the spotlight. Uh, I mentioned a little while ago that uh, this September 5th of 2016, uh, we're going to be doing a 50th birthday episode for Jamie D. And we're soliciting uh, listeners to call in uh, to give their, their thoughts or their favorite Jamie D memories or what have you, or favorite clips. Because I've gotten quite a lot of like emails or messages, but not too many voicemails. So we'll have you guys uh, just call in. 
Uh, give us your thoughts. The number, oh boy. I oh, yeah, I wasn't ready for that <laughs> either, man. It's been a month. Holy smokes. Stay prepared for the uh, the voicemail number, but if you just bear with me one second here, I will I'm bring that up here. The uh, The number is 267 oh, 702 You can call in and leave a message as well. Uh, so we encourage you to do that. Uh, Want to have a nice episode remembering Jamie on his 50th birthday this year. Um, it's a wonderful idea, Vance. Yes. And again, like September 5th of 2016. All right. Well, the spotlight falls on Thor, and I turn it over to you, Mr. Eberly, with your wonderful outline as always. Honored, brother. Honored. Yeah, just uh, make sure you talk into the microphone. Yes. Don't turn your I, mouth. I am going to... <laughs> I don't want to get too tawdry here, but I'm going to swallow the microphone, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> that could be awkward. <laughs> All right. Now, um, I was thinking about what spotlights I want to do over the summer because I have more free time because school's uh, out of session, thank the stars. And I thought, you know, I've always loved Thor, the, the, the Marvel version of Thor, and we talked about him when we did our Avengers spotlights, for example, and he comes up in various other conversations we've had, but we've ne- we've, he's never been received the spotlight treatment. Uh, you guys didn't do it when you did your first round of spotlights years ago, did you? I don't think Not we even did four at that okay. point. No. So to the archives. Uh, I was kind of pantaloons. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, you know what? I love the character. Having done a spotlight of him, I love. I love the especially love the Kirby era of Thor. Especially getting into the real cosmic stuff. The latter part of that run, which I know Murder's also dying to discuss. <laughs> so I thought, what the hell? Let's spend some time with old Goldilocks <laughs> and. Uh, I've spent the past, you know, week or so preparing. I'm really looking forward to this. And we mentioned JVD before. How would he mispronounce Molnir? <laughs> Majolner? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Even when confronted with the more acceptable spellings, he would just, what, what's that? Majolner? <laughs> he used the old man defense, and you know what? It works for every time. God, I miss that prideful defiance. Outstanding. Yeah. So... What we're we'll going to be looking at here uh, is going after we get into our, our initial reflections is Thor and the Silver Age. I should say the mighty Thor because when we talk <laughs> about Thor and Murda shaking his head in annoying fashion. What? <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you said in an annoying no, fashion. No, no. That's what I thought. Oh, annoying so. fashion. Murda, yes. It's impossible. Nodding sagely over here. Indeed. Yeah, that dumbass Chris, he's going to say something right now. <laughs> That's, yeah, that, I know he was going for that. Ah, Shane <laughs> So, obviously Thor is an from ancient Norse mythology. So we're not really talking about that Thor, per se. We're talking about the Marvel version of Thor, which incorporates elements, obviously, of Norse mythology, which is then interwoven into the Marvel Universe. So I'm not an expert on the Thor of Norse mythology. I mean, I know some of the basics, but that's not really what we're going to be talking about, although that'll inevitably seep into this episode, because Kirby especially brought in elements of Norse mythology, especially through the classic Tales of Asgard backup stories. I'll be talking about as part of this uh, spotlight episode. So we'll be focusing on Thor and the Silver Age, and that means we're focusing on primarily Stanley and Jack Kirby's take on the mighty Thor. So we're looking at issues from Journey to Mystery 83, which is Thor's, excuse me, Thor's first appearance. Cover dated August of 1962, I believe. Yippers. Yes. That was sexy. <laughs> wow. Well done. Doesn't take much, does it? Good night, everybody. It's and summertime. we're going to go through issue 179, which is Kirby's final pencils on Thor before he uh, strikes the tent and uh, makes the trek over to uh, the Distinguished the Competition. 
Yeah, Thor 179 cover dated August of 1970. Ah. Comic book DB at my fingertips. Excellent. And there's so many other things at your fingertips, too. Anyway, <laughs> now. <laughs> I was not even born yet in 1970. <laughs> All right, so that's, what, that's, that's sort of the, the scope of this episode. But, of course, when we get there, I, I love to hear everybody's initial impressions, sort of their first exposure to Thor. What uh? What made them aware of the character uh, for the first time? Let's start with the Mighty Murdo. <laughs> uh, well, I guess the first time I became aware that uh, there was a Marvel Comics version of the uh, legendary God of Thunder uh, was well, it's about the same as my first exposure to a lot of other comics characters. Matt, you know, CGS <laughs> Matt just showed me his uh, Marvel Universe trading cards, and uh, so I remember seeing the like his. Uh, a version of his first appearance, you know, the Journey into Mystery number 82 covers a part of that 83. series. 83, sorry, in 1962. <laughs> and um, yes, I think there was a card for his his uh, rivalry with Ulick in that series as well. Um, but then shortly after, I mean, I don't really... I think maybe what made Thor seem even realer to me as a character, though, was when I actually came within a foot or two of his first appearance shortly after that. Like one of my first forays out to the uh, Renninger's uh, Antique Market, nice. flea market, <laughs> in Adamstown, Pennsylvania. A uh, dealer there uh, was, uh, my dad was chatting with him, and he dug out and showed me a copy of Journey into Mystery number 83. Wow. Yep. With uh, th- At that point, it probably would have been semi-affordable, yeah. too. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, not for uh, like a 13-year-old's budget, <laughs> but... Uh, Still, I, I, I saw, with my own eyes, a copy of Thor versus the Stone Men of Saturn swinging that mighty hammer around on that rooftop. And that, it, 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 it dazzled me a little bit. You know, the thought that this, uh, this being from mythology was just walking the rooftops of Manhattan in this alternate reality that is the Marvel Universe. And, of course, I didn't know the half of the grand cosmic saga that was uh, the life story of Marvel's mighty Thor. But that was you know, my, my, my first inkling. Having seen that, and I also saw that, that same cover image in a price guide shortly thereafter. Hmm. Shaney Poo? That's a better better origin story for Thor than mine. I, I'm pretty sure mine would have been, oh, either on if he was on ever um, Spider Man and His Amazing Friends, or at the very least, those um, Lou Ferrigno, um, oh. Bill, <laughs> the, the TV um, movies, Bill. Bixby. Bixby. Bill Bixby. Good heavens. TV movies, yeah. That that would have been my next first closest uh, association with Thor. That's probably the first live-action representation of Thor. Yeah, I would, I would think. think. Um, I don't think I read – I'd have to figure out years for those movies, but I don't think I was getting comics when they were coming out. Um, but I was watching the TV shows and, and things that came on. Um, probably reading him would have been um, – the Avengers series with George Perez and um, uh, God, it was after Heroes Were Born. I oh, think. Busiek. Busiek. Oh, it's a classic. That probably mm. was my first time reading Thor with any regularity. And then um, when Straczynski came on, I read that whole tremendous series. run. That was uh, an absolutely fantastic run. But uh, yeah, I didn't read much Thor up <laughs> until that part point. If he guest starred or showed up in an episode, uh, an episode, an issue here and there throughout. Marvel stuff I was reading through Spider-Man back in the late 80s and 90s, maybe, but it wasn't until that Avengers series that I really started to read any kind of Thor. And then picked up the Mighty Thor when that came out and some other stuff. But Straczynski's run was was probably my favorite so far that I've read. Mighty Trouser? Um, For me, the first memory I have of Thor... Is the Mego figure of Thor? Because oh, nice. I had like almost uh, yes. all of the superhero Marvel figures uh, or Mego figures, Marvel and DC at the time, 
And what I remember about Thor's figure the most is, and I mentioned this most before, I think we had our toy talk, Shane, is on Thor's head, it had a hole bored into his head so he could put his winged helmet on, because his winged helmet had a little um, protrusion come out from the middle so it could stay on his head <laughs> and just bore right into his head. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> so that's the first recollection I have of, of Thor, but you brought along there the, um, take the cover off, uh, what's that, the Origin of Marvel yes. Comics. I had that as a child, so I'm probably also going to remember this. Now, this I'm sure it had eight, Journey Mystery 83, but yes, what was the other issue? Thor 143. That's the other one that I remember in there with the Enchantress. So I, that's how I sort of got first exposed to that. But I don't think... I might have picked up one or two comics when I was a kid in the 70s. Didn't get into Thor at all because I was blind to Marvel for most of the 90s and so forth. The first time I can actually remember being jazzed about a Thor title, I actually mentioned this on the air, at the Baltimore Comic Con uh, in September of 2012 when they had the Marvel Now initiative, I was curious about it. So I went to a panel there hosted by Tom Brevoort and Mark Wade, where just before they were actually going to come out, they had like some copies of these first issues, and they had a, a photocopy of Thor number one with Jason Aaron and Isad Ribic. And if you... I answered a question, you actually go up on the, on the panel and read the issue before it came out. And they asked the question, you know, what was Thor's first appearance? And so it's a journey of mystery. And they said, what issue? And I said under my breath to myself, 83. And Mark White goes, who said that? I'm like in like the second row. And I said, I did. Come on up. So I got, called up, <laughs> I got called up on stage and read that issue. Of course, it was only black and white. Right there on the panel and gave my impression of it right away. And I loved it. And so I got the rest of the Thor issues that came out, and I've been getting Thor ever since, including its current incarnation with, with the, the Lady Thor. And I really, really love Jason Aaron from Exalted for me. Oh, he's... And, of course, the art by Sodbert, which was no slouch either. Aaron's doing a, a great take on Thor, both the male and the female versions of the character. Yeah. But what little I remember of the early, early stuff is, who the hell is Donald Blake? <laughs> you know, he, he boom, so I, I, we're going to get into that. No, Pants, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things we're going to talk about in this episode I'm, – I'm sorry to mean to – No, 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 that's here, fine. Is that a lot of people who come to Thor later on or through the movies probably have no clue who Donald Blake mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Because – He's only mentioned once in a movie. As, as like, a, like a throwaway gag for yeah, long-time yeah, like readers because uh -huh, yeah. Donald Blake, that persona has basically no role in Thor's current – Storylines yeah. and going back some years now, actually. Yeah. So, we're going to talk about in this episode who Donald Blake is and what what crucial role he played, and what and I should say what Donald Blake is, because he's not. Hmm. He's not. Call really, me intrigued because I don't he, remember much. Well, about he's this. not. He's not really fully a man or a human being per se. Murray probably knows what I'm talking about. Mm. He's a triple. So what? We'll, a triple. <laughs> So we'll, we'll get into all that, but I'm glad you brought that up, Pansy. Three ducks in a doctor costume. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love how Pants is kind of like the zealot of the comic book world? Like, he just pops up in all these key moments in, like, modern goings-on <laughs> in the comic book world. Fantastic. There, I'm Pants. sure there's a drawing out there of him with a big wave. <laughs> hey! <laughs> pants shirt, pants hat. I have the pants hat on right now. I know my you hair, do. Well, my hair's they all messed up. They can see it. No, they can't. Oh, yeah, because they can't. Yes, they can. <laughs> Boom! I forgot video! I forgot! <laughs> Amazing video! I'm sorry, Pantsy, finish your uh, initial question. Uh, I think that was, that was about it. But like I said, I'm reading the, the Thor right now and um, looking forward to discussing his Silver Age adventures. Terrific pantaloons. Yes. 
Now, for me, uh, I've loved the Thor character since uh, since I basically could read, and I'll go back to one of my uh, often told comic origin stories. My uh, beloved cousins, who were a couple years older than me, they had a pile of comics from the Bronze Age that they sort of passed on to me in, let's say, the late 70s or early 1980s. And in them, among that pile was a copy of Thor issue 213, which is a Bronze Age issue. The title is The Demon Brigade. And it was the first time – This is the thing, I think even before I read uh, Origin of Marvel Comics, I hadn't even read Journey into Mystery 83 yet. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I'd heard of Thor. I'd seen him like like he was on my lunchbox I had. Like I had, I had the – Oh, metal. I had the lunchbox as well. Yes. yes. I had the metal lunchbox oh, in the 70s that had Thor on it. So I, I knew who Thor was. But I, that's, I just – okay, there's a superhero. He looks kind of like a Viking. He's named Thor. I didn't know anything about Norse mythology. I was a little kid and so forth. So I get this comic like, oh, there's this, this character Thor. Read it, loved it. I still have it in my my own version of the Diefenbach collection at home. <laughs> um, and uh, that issue, the cover was by Jim Starlin. Listen to this. this listen to this, these heavy hitters. Writers were Conway and uh, Len Wein. Pencils, John Buscema. Don Perlin. Inks, Vince Coletta. Wow. So, 1973, early bronze, you know, early Thor issue from the Bronze Age. Let me read you a quote from that story because it's so, I think, captures the the grand hyperbole of the world of Thor. This is Thor speaking. Thy minions that merely annoy me, treacherous one, now nothing doth stand between us save the battle and the glory. (laughs) And even at my young age, I was taken by just this over-the-top, grandiose language. And, of course, we're going to talk about how Stanley will insert this sort of pseudo-Elizabethan dialogue uh, these speech patterns into Thor, which are, which are not there initially in the first issues of Thor. They kind of creep in as, as, as the title develops. But I just love the world. Like, this issue had, like, the Warriors 3 in it, so I, I got to see it. I met them right away. Uh, I don't remember if Sif was in it or not. And I remember in the story, Odin, something happened to Odin where he was actually craven and uh, callow. And, like, Thor is almost ashamed of him. So that was my first experience of Odin. I didn't realize, we'll talk about this, how much of a dick Odin actually is. <laughs> and as, it was funny, as I was preparing my checklist, just in the Silver Age, the amount of times Odin is, like, the worst father you can possibly imagine. <laughs> over and over and over again. Uh, it, it's, it's to the point where I was, I was laughing out loud preparing these notes because it just got hilarious how many times Odin just intervenes in Thor's life in, in a disastrous fashion. Basically, including one, I don't know if you, st- I, I thought of you, Shane, you get a kick out of this. So there's one issue we'll talk about where Dr. Strange needs an operation. This is in the Silver Age. And Donald Blake is one of the world's greatest surgeons. Sure. So he's trying to save Dr. Strange, and, and Odin is pissed that Thor has taken up the cause of Midgard over Asgard. So he knocks out the electricity in the hospital while <laughs> Donald Blake is doing the surgery on Dr. Strange. <laughs> so we're also going to talk about just. Odin and his temper tantrums, which are just such a really entertaining aspect of uh, Thor's Silver Age history, essentially. But when I first introduced to Odin this Bronze Age issue, I had no sense of that yet. Um, And then after that, I got Origins of Marvel Comics. And uh, Shane, I think you have the image of Journey Mr. 83 up there. Absolutely. And so then I read The Origin of Thor. And I remember I was struck how... The costume was very similar. Like It wasn't tweaked that much from his first appearance to when I read this Bronze Age issue. But, you know, the language was different. 
And it read more like kind of a normal guy who just found out, oh, I have the power of Thor. And we'll get into more of why that, that changes over time. And then I read in, in that same Origins of Marvel Comics, as many of you know, the Fireside Editions, this whole series of books that I, I treasure. Fireside hired Stan Lee to write these uh, remembrances on the uh, – his version, of course, on the <laughs> beginning of the Marvel Universe in the, in the 60s. And each book, Origins of Marvel Comics, Son of Origins of Marvel Comics, Bring on the Bad Guys, which has the origin of Loki in it, for example. And uh, is it this? I think it's called The Superhero Women. And they, just, they did some other books that just focused on particular characters. Uh, would have two reprints in it, the origin and then, and then a subsequent issue to show the character had evolved and developed. And in the early 80s, since there really, weren't really much of the way of trade paperbacks yet, these books were always exciting to get your hands on one of them. Yeah. And they were in print for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so the second feature was Thor 143, when they, the book transitioned from Journey into Mystery to the Thor, the mighty Thor masthead. And I remember as a kid being floored by the fact that it opens with Thor in a, at a soda fountain <laughs> ordering what looks like the world's most delicious soda while a, a bunch of, of you know, 1960s youth are, are gathered around him just in awe. And Thor talks about I need to slake my thirst and so forth. And right away I was, I was automatically besotted with the Marvel <laughs> Universe. Yeah, uh, Shane pulled the image up right now. And <laughs> how it approaches superheroes. And between what I read in issue 213 and the Origins of Marvel Comics, that began my lifelong love for Marvel's version of the character of Thor. And I, I've read the title ever since. I started reading it regularly in the 1980s. Unfortunately, I started reading it after the Simonson run on a monthly basis. But I've read much of the Simonson run going back. Um, and, but from the 80s forward, I, I've, let's say latter 80s forward, I, I've never missed an issue of Thor. Basically. So you were there for the whole Tom DeFalco run, then. I know you're a big fan of Tom DeFalco, Murd. <laughs> his Thor stuff is better than some of the okay, other things fair he's enough. done. Yeah, I read all that, um, and I, I agree with Shane. The Straczynski run is one of my favorite periods that, in all that of was Thor's out of, uh, out of this world. publishing history. And uh, perhaps we'll get to that in a future episode. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm, I was thinking, like, my God, I, I loved it in the spotlights. I haven't talked about Thor yet. I love Thor. So... I'm thrilled to be here to uh, be discussing what really is is the formative era. I mean, when you think about the mighty Thor, you got to talk about Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. um, because his I, I think some of my favorite Kirby art from the, the Silver Age, the Marvel Silver Age, is in Thor. Did I hear someone say Kirby art from the Silver Age? Fire away, honeybee. <laughs> Counting on this. So I was doing a little research, and I, I remember that uh, from Journey into Mystery 83, Thor's first appearance, I believe it's, a, it's the eighth story page with um, Thor when he has the hammer, is throwing it, it goes through a tree, and it comes back to him, he uses, he thumps it on the ground, it's summoned a rain or snow and lightning. It's a nine panel page, and anything from like first appearances like this. It's an historical page. This, this page actually was up for auction about six years ago. Oh, August, get out. August of 2010. And six years ago, that page went for $65,000. A nine-panel page of Thor <laughs> with Kirby Quinn. It's his first appearance. I'm just amazed this damn thing still exists wow. and was out there in the public eye. If that went up for auction today, good gosh, I might oh, want to yeah. speculate about that. But I... I have a high-resolution image I can look at as whenever I want here. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's what I love about the Heritage Archives. Well, Pants, I, I, I was counting on that original art input from you because 
early – I mean, how common is early Kirby original <laughs> art like that? That's early Marvel well, Age. you know, again, this – well, this is 1962. Yeah. Uh, my knowledge of – Sinnott was the inker, right? I believe um, he was. Well, let's see. Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah. Journey into Mystery number 83. Yeah. I mean, early – there's early Hulk pages that are, I, I know are out there. I think Hulk 3 um, – there's X-Men 2 pages I've seen. I think X-Men 1 pages, which, which knocks me out. But this stuff is still around. It's yeah, out right. there. People want, you can actually see it. It's not buried away in someone's black hole collection. Especially from back then when so many things were just tossed aside and thrown out. Just like people cleaning out closets yeah, and throwing away cut hole. them up and use them as uh, backer boards to draw them. Yeah. And you, yeah. You'll, you never know where some of this stuff ends up. Recently, if I can figure out which cover it was, there was a Thor... Silver Age cover by Jack Kirby that recently appeared in an auction in London for like in a, in a toy catalog. So all this toys and here's a Hulk. I mean, here's a Thor cover from Jack Kirby in the auction. It's appeared out of nowhere. This woman had it, didn't want to sell you know out of the country, just put it at the auction house, and boom, it went for like Jeez. again like sixty thousand dollars. Wow. Well, didn't didn't you tell me that from the same era? Isn't Amazing Fantasy fifteen in the Library of Congress? The original art is the in whole, the whole story, right? The whole story. story. Yep. Get out. That's some. So you, you can go and request to see it then. Yeah. yeah. I have to make an appointment. Right. But some something we should do that. We should. Oh, that do is that. a great idea. That is a great Holy idea. Holy crap! I mean, I'm gonna have to jot that down. Definitely. <laughs> put, somebody else keep talking. Put that you. down for a summer outing. <laughs> That's a great idea. Now you see, like the word balloon with the light bulb appearing over Pants' <laughs> head, essentially. <laughs> Mr. Christman goes to Washington. <laughs> <laughs> Road trip. <laughs> All right, anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about Thor. All right. Well, I had a question for please, Chris. Please, sir, please. So when, when you read the titles, like read, read one of the titles of an issue you just did, the way you do. In the blaze of battle. Do you do that when you and Keiko go to sit down and watch Friends? The one with the embryos. <laughs> <laughs> or so, is that just specific to... Anytime, as you all know, my wife is a master at and ridiculing me, and deservedly so. <laughs> and uh, anytime I descend into melodramatic, self-deprecating hyperbole, which, of course, I do on purpose, she either rolls her eyes or just, you know, totally puts me down. Only she can. (laughs) And you've seen this. We've participated. Yes, as you should. um, In a loving, but let's say a a lovingly harsh manner. Um, You can say extremely harsh. It's okay. (laughs) She'll call me, like, dork or twit or, you know... Other, uh, you know, unmentionables, for example. <laughs> but it's look. Anyone as geeky as I am, if I can't, if I take myself to, I would never take myself too seriously, and I, I have to laugh at myself because if I didn't, as you all know, I'd be in a straitjacket somewhere <laughs> by this point. <laughs> you and me both. So, yeah. So <laughs> it's it's how she, one of the many it's how she expresses her love and her tolerance for my ridiculous <laughs> uh, hobbies and passions. Speaking of hobbies and passions. Let's talk about the mighty Thor. Let's. Now, I thought we'd start uh, talking a bit about Thor's origin, which is very interesting, and uh, his his power set. Now, as we mentioned, his first appearance is in Journey to Mystery 83, August 1962. Uh, and it, it, some listeners may not be aware that Stanley didn't actually write the script to Journey to Mystery 83. He came up with the plot. Larry Lieber, his, his younger brother, who's, who's also still living, actually wrote the script, and of course, Kirby and Sinnott uh, contributed the art. Now, uh, again, we should quickly recap the Marvel method. So, Lee, at this point, they'd already, they'd already created, let's see, the Fantastic Four, uh, the Hulk, 
Uh, I don't know if they'd done Spider-Man yet or not. It was around the same yeah, time. Yeah, Spider-Man came out in 1962 in, in Amazing time. Fantasy. So around the same time. And Lee, as, as part of the Marvel Method, because he was editor-in-chief, he was art director, he, had so many, he was wearing so many different hats, he would often write quick plots and then hand them off to the artist, which, of course, leads to a lot of the creator controversy decades later. But he also started to have his brother Larry, who was an able penciler and, and scripter, to script some of these stories. So Larry Lieber has a hand in, in the first appearance uh, of the Mighty Thor. Now, basically, if you've read or seen interviews with Stanley, he talks about Thor. He always kind of sticks to the same line, which is that he was trying to think of a, a, a hero that was new and interesting and even more powerful than any hero they conceived so far, perhaps even more powerful than the Hulk. And he thought, well, what about a god? And he realized, of course, well, I can't write a comic about God because that obviously would cause all kinds of headaches and controversies. And, you know, who the hell am I? So he went – he referred to various mythologies. that we thought, well, everybody knows the Greek and Roman gods. People are not as well versed in the Norse gods. Let's go with Thor. Now, I have to mention here, as you read The Mighty Thor in the Silver Age, I think it's very clear that Kirby had enormous input in – Thor's world because Kirby was very well versed in mythology, probably more so than Lee. That's just an educated guess on my part. So once again, we always have to have the caveat out there in that I never want to say Stan Lee created the mighty Thor because there's no way he did it on his own because the Marvel method precluded that. This is clearly a collaboration, and he very well may have had the initial idea, as he did, I think he did for many of these characters, but – as Thor develops, Kirby's input is, is enormous, I think especially so with this character. Um, in fact, I'm going to read a quote from Kirby as, when he was interviewed about Thor. He says here, I began to realize what a wonderful and awesome place the universe is. And that helped me in comics because I was looking for the awesome. I found it in Thor. And he says here, another, another clip, the truth is that the Greeks had Hercules, even as the Norsemen had Thor, and through the ages we've had heroes similar to them in ages past. We had Samson, who's no more than a superhero. And today we have our superheroes. We believe in them because we believe in ourselves. I love that Kirby optimism, right? That, that sort of tapping into like the, the grandeur of the cosmos and our place in it, essentially. Now here's a quote from Lee about you know, the genesis of Thor. Ever since man has walked the earth, there have been legends of gods and their goddesses, their problems, their battles, their triumphs, and their defeats. Okay. Since we were the legend makers of today, we'd simply take what had gone before, build on it, embellish it, and come up with our own version of the continuing saga of good versus evil, god-wise, that is. Vintage Stanley, right there. He also wrote, I chose the Norse gods because I felt people were less familiar with them than with the Greek and Roman gods. So I think those quotes emphasize... As much as we can sort of connect the dots, the role both men played in breathing life into, the, into their version of the, the mythos of Thor, because we established Thor is a long-established mythological figure. And this is Marvel's sort of Marvel's spin uh, on that concept. So both men obviously play their part, and especially we're going to talk about as we move forward, especially the role Kirby played in, in, in creating this, this grand cosmic opera, all right, when it came to Thor, almost, you know, Wagnerian lengths here, uh, essentially. Now, 
in terms of Thor's origins, in, in terms of the story itself, we have to remember that Thor is not fully Asgardian. Murray, do you know what I mean by that? I do. Please elaborate. Uh, he is a rare Asgardian hybrid. Mm. Uh, his mother is actually uh, not uh, Frigg or Frigga, the, the wife of Odin. Mm. Uh, his mother is a goddess of a different pantheon, described by some sources as an elder goddess, actually. Mm. Uh, described as Yord by the, uh, the Asgardians uh, and Gaia uh, by others. So she is like this patron goddess of the earth, a, actually more ancient than either the Asgardians or the Olympians, the gods of Greece, which uh, is a part of the essential tie of Thor to the planet Earth, why he seems to keep coming back there and uh, why, why he feels such a kinship with its people and why he is, feels so driven to defend it, sometimes at, uh, at uh, the cost of his allegiance to Asgard itself. It's also, what, and this is key, what makes him stronger than uh, just about any other Asgardian, right. except perhaps the All-Father himself, his link with the Earth. So it's kind of similar to the Superman mythos in that respect. The Earth is what made him Superman. Krypton may have made him part of what he is, but only by coming to Earth to its yellow sun did he gain the power to become the champion for good throughout the universe that he became. So it's the fact that Earth is a part of Thor's mixed heritage that makes him the champion that he hmm. is. Once again, I got that tingle that started at the base of my spine <laughs> and all the way up, almost like through chakras. I've got murder. pills for that, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, Murd. I was counting on now that. Now you know how we feel listening to you hold forth for hours <laughs> and Chris. Well, I'm glad you stay awake at least. Now, uh, Murd, I'm glad you brought, brought that up because you, you got to question Odin here because, all right, so you, you go out of your way to mate with basically the, the – the, the matriarchal goddess of Earth, like like she's like the personification of Earth's life force, I guess you would say. Yet you get ticked when your son feels he keeps needing to return to Midgard, as Earth is called. We're going to talk a lot about Odin and his temper tantrums uh, <laughs> throughout this episode here, because I, I find Odin particularly fascinating. Uh, as he's interpreted by uh, Lee and Kirby and others so, uh, in the Silver Age. So his uh, rage over Thor's behavior is just kind of like the consequence of a cosmic custody battle, you might say? <laughs> Spending too much time with his mother... That's one way of looking at it, I suppose, my friend, indeed. Now, in terms of that strength, as you mentioned, Thor is, in the Marvel Universe, one of the strongest beings in the Marvel Universe in terms of strength, uh, resiliency, speed, ability to heal, senses. I mean, he's, he's virtually invulnerable. Uh, and, and, of course, one of the old timeless questions is, who is stronger, Thor or the Hulk? And we'll talk about an issue we get into our checklist where actually some in, – in the comic, some kids on the street ask Thor, are you stronger than the Hulk? <laughs> and he actually recounts with them a, a tale from the past where he actually met the Hulk in battle. Of course, the end result is inconclusive. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they fight again in the Defenders. I want to say Defenders issue 10. I was a, yes, I, yeah. I think I just read that, actually, just as we were driving down to HeroesCon the other week, Pants and I. Yeah, it was wow. the, the yes, time bubble. Steve Englehart written Avengers Defenders. Well, well it was packaged. The Avengers as Defenders War. Clash. Yeah. They, they called it a clash at the time, but ah. then they repackaged it as war. Right. Uh, yeah, I bought the trade at your store, actually, at Wild Pig Comics honored, in Kenilworth, New Jersey. And it was a crossover in the summer of 1973, and there was indeed a Hulk Thor clash. As a part of that story. And it ended naturally in a stalemate. Of course. <laughs> so I guess it's a matter of which character you favor in terms of who do you think is stronger. Now, as, a, as a, an example of this strength, Thor can survive in virtually any environment. You often see him, you know, careening through outer space and not wearing a breathing apparatus or, or anything like that. He can also survive in virtually any dimension. As we're going to discuss, his hammer has the power to pierce dimensional barriers 
So you can go into different dimensions as well as through time and space. So this is a huge heavy hitter uh, in the Marvel Universe. And, and as Murd mentioned, he is stronger than all the Asgardians with the ex- possible exception of the All-Father Odin himself because of that unique – his unique parentage, both the, the Lord of Asgard and essentially the matriarchal lord of Earth's very life essence. So a, a unique powers uh, to say the least. Now we should also mention though, and this is, this is a – I think this is a bit of a retcon. The Asgardians are not immortal. They age at a dramatically slower rate than human beings on Earth. So they live for thousands of years. And they really emphasize this in the movies actually. Yeah, they do. Um, but when you read these original comics when they first are coming out, you just assume, well, these are the gods of Asgard and they're immortal. Now, um, now that aging, is that due to a fruit that they mention in the movie that they eat to slow down their aging? Yes, that's – The apples in the Garden of yes. Eden. Okay. I-D-U-N-N, which is actually the name of a goddess who is the guardian of those apples. Okay. And that's right. Those, that, that also helps sort of retard the, 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 their age essentially. Um, but they're not truly immortal. They don't live forever. You know, Odin has a father. Bor, I believe his, his name was, right, and, sure. and there was was a who was the grandfather? Burr or Bori? Bori, Bori, Bori. Bori. Yes, that's B-U-R-I, right. So yeah. there, there's a there's an ancestry here. So they can die per se, and they can be injured. They can. Oh, that's very difficult. You know, they can be killed, uh, and they they need sustenance, as of course Volstag very much indulges in, as we discuss and so forth. So that they're. Now, obviously, the way that they've kind of – I think it's a very clever approach, they, and they even explained this in the original movie, and they've also done so in the comics, that, well, to the ancient Vikings or the ancient Germanic tribes, they seem like gods. Sure. So they worship them as gods, and, and, and Thor and other, and other Asgardians encouraged uh, that worship. Again, I should reemphasize for our listeners, I'm, I'm just talking about the Thor of the Marvel Universe here. We're not getting into – the, the, the sheer pageantry of the Norse myths of Thorlo, many of them do seep into this, of course, oh, yeah. in, in many ways. Does, does the age thing also filter down to, um, like, Jotunheim and the, the other worlds of Asgard area? Like, all the things they control? Like, like the elves, the dwarves? Yeah, do they like all that? last forever and ever? I'm not ever? sure about that. Longer lived than Earth humans, certainly, okay. but uh, yeah, not to the extent of the, uh, the residents of the Shining Realm itself. Okay. The um, Shining Realm. Yes. Fantastic. But, you know, just to, to dip briefly, though, into actual please, mythology. Please, though, sorry, I was counting on that. This idea of uh, the Asgardians being a more mortal or uh, race or uh, limited lifespan race of gods than certain other pantheons um, sort of comes from, uh, well, the, the ancient Norse or Teutonic outlook of life, too. Because uh, those, even in the ancient myths, those Norse gods were uh, portrayed as uh, mortal, as slayable. Um, in fact, uh, the, the, the characters died in those myths fairly often, and there is, of course, the terminal myth of Ragnarok, uh, uh, which yes. shows all of the gods, uh, the twilight of the gods, all of the gods and the universe itself dying and then being reborn. Um, so it's Which Kirby played into heavily uh, throughout Thor, Oh, yes. Ragnarok has been yeah. an off-recurring theme in the yes. Marvel version of the uh, Norse mythos. Uh, but, yeah, so the, 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 this idea of uh, the uh, As, Asgardian deities as being mortal – it does have some roots in the traditional myths. 
And if you read the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, every entry for an Asgardian character goes out of its way to say that Asgardians are not true immortals in the way that Olympians are. And then it cross-references you to the Olympians, because they are, you know, the Greeks had a different uh, view of, of their pantheon, their, their, their deities. So they are closer to the deathless, eternal figures of myth, whereas uh, the Asgardians are more reflections of the more, uh, I don't know, fatalistic worldview of the, uh, the culture that gave rise to them. Absolutely outstanding word. <laughs> In fact, we're going to talk about the Olympians because they will end up in some of the Thor stories in the Silver Age uh, as well. Oh, you betcha. In fact, we should mention that Thor, when we talked about his strength, he stalemated the Hulk, he stalemated the Juggernaut, and Hercules, the son of Zeus, who is also a pretty prominent supporting character in some of Thor's uh, Silver Age adventures, including one of the, probably one of the most famous covers of uh, the Thor Silver Age, which I believe is Thor issue 126, when it switches over from Journey into Mystery to the mighty Thor uh, masthead. In fact, I was reading in the back by that Thor apparently felled Namor one time with one punch, <laughs> so which probably wow. Samaritan deserved, no doubt. Um, so this this is this is one of the most powerful entities uh, in the Marvel universe, without question. Now, if you're going to talk about the power of Thor, you have to talk about the hammer. Now, murder the pronunciation again, please. Um, well, <laughs> there's some variation there. I always say um, Molnir. That's uh, say it again. Molnir. Uh, more like Mjolnir. Okay. Although, I, um, I, I always said Mjolnir. And actually, <laughs> when we were doing footnotes on the Simonson run of Thor, we actually yes. did find a letters page in which Walt Simonson himself uh, said that he pronounced it Mjolnir. Mjolnir, okay. But there's Mjolnir is certainly yeah. – uh, the, 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 there's some uh, justification for pronouncing it that way, too. Or what, Mew Mew, I guess? Mew Mew. If you're Cat Denning, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Mjolnir if you're Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it translates into apparently that which smashes. <laughs> That's got to be a Scandinavian language, right? Well, surely. Yeah. I, I'm not sure which one, to be oh, honest please. with you. Don't, Don't call, call me Shirley. <laughs> I just watched their plane the other night. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Man, um, uh, I, I, you're, I, you're glad they're here, aren't you? Uh, not, <laughs> <laughs> you know me well, brother. You took the words right out of my mouth. I, I can start on an airplane tangent. I won't. <laughs> Because every scene is a gem. <laughs> I just thought of the nun slapping the woman in the face. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Now, uh, of course, the inscription. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. And actually, uh, should you go to the origin Already page? Up. God, that was sexy. <laughs> Boom. Now, it's already up, baby. Efficiency. <laughs> Now, apparently Larry Lieber created the term uh, Oru, Oru Metal, mm. which Stanley says he just ma- Lieber just made up, essentially. So let's this mystical metal, uh, the, the hammer. Now, the hammer, of course, was forged from the core of a star. And Odin, or the dwar- dwarves of, I'm probably going to butcher this, it's one of the nine realms. You want to try it, Murd? Go ahead. Uh, Nidavellir. I'm so glad he said it. Not the me. dwarves' names or Nidavellir, depending, again, depending on how you want to pronounce that IR suffix. Uh, but uh, the, the dwarves' names were uh, Brock and Atri, incidentally. Okay. Magnificent. Or as Volstagg would say, sounds. <laughs> now, so forged from the core of a star, of course, Odin enchanted it. And you remember in the film, when he speaks the inscription, you see them blazoned on yeah. the side of the mallet, essentially. And. 
Molnir is it's essentially indestructible. It's, it's probably one of the most powerful weapons in the Marvel universe. It really can't be destroyed uh, in any way, shape, or form. And I should mention, emphasize that it is not the source of Thor's power. Thor himself is the power, but he channels a lot of his powers through the hammer, like flight and creating vortexes through time or through barriers or uh, shooting energy blasts or, or creating shields. It all comes through him, but through, channeled through Molnir. essentially. That's his conduit out. Well put, sir. Now, we should mention... Only a handful of beings in the history of the comic will be able to actually lift the hammer besides Thor. Murray, do you want to take a stab at that? Well, it's right here on this. Yeah, I like, <laughs> I like hearing your sonorous tones. Okay. <laughs> the words of Chris Eberly. Only Thor. Red Norvell. Okay, who is Red Norville? I'm sorry. Red Norvell is an Earthman. Darren's uh, cousin. What? Long red hair and a beard. Uh, he, he was like a substitute Thor in the 90s, and uh, not 90s, 70s. And uh, he, uh, well, was he a criminal? I wonder I'm trying to recall. I dimly recall him. I have his first appearance, but I don't remember his backstory I'm sorry, right I, just, now. I just never heard that name yeah, before. And he, looks, he looks a lot more like, uh, well, the... The, the depiction of Thor, descriptions of Thor from In, the old myths, big right, and yeah. burly and bearded, and he has like a, a horned helmet when he becomes Thor. Okay, um, and he he's kind of, he talk, he's a rough, tough Ben Grimm kind of guy, and okay. he, he he proves himself worthy of becoming. Uh, a surrogate Thor for a time, and he's popped up in the Thor comics from time to time over mm-hmm. the decades. Uh, then there's also Buri, who was uh, Thor's uh, grandfather. Oh, uh, so great grandfather and Bor, who is Thor's grandfather, Odin's father, and Bor is mentioned in the Dark World. Oh, he is. Yes, he the is. Second Thor film. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then Odin himself, Beta Ray Bill, the alien, and Captain America. Those are the ones that are listed. And, here. and I see you didn't mention Superman here. What's that? From JLA Adventures number four, the cover. Oh God. I didn't even remember that one. Oh, and there was a well, Wonder Woman, too. Was, was, didn't she uh, pick up the... I don't know. About, I'm just looking at the, the cover image. That's the only thing I pulled up I'm by pr- news. I'm pretty sure I remember that Wonder Woman in the DC versus Marvel miniseries did pick up the hammer, and there was kind of like a cliffhanger. Will she use it as an unfair advantage against Storm, Storm? or not? Okay. And uh, so that, that was one of the worst uh, characterization faux pas in that miniseries, <laughs> I think, because it could have gone either direction, and it was the voting of the readers that uh, determined what her decision would be and ultimately she decided no not even to save my universe can i take unfair advantage of an opponent and she throws the hammer aside and then storm kicks her ass (laughs) storm beat wonder woman uh uh, yes by the will of the readers yes okay (laughs) i forgot about that that whole i mean i don't remember but i don't remember that particular battle but that that's I mean, that's ridiculous. But anyway, come um, to think of it, didn't Storm actually uh, wield Mjolnir during? Uh, I'm thinking of those uh, stories in the '80s when the X-Men and the New Mutants traveled to Asgard, or is that a what if I'm thinking of? Well, wait a minute, Murd. You may be honest, and there's a famous cover. It's X, one of the X-Men annuals where Storm is like almost like the goddess of thunder. Those are good stories. Those are, those are Art Adams' artwork. There's the New Mutants special, and then there's the X-Men annual. They crossed over. Um, possibly, but I see Pants is looking that up right now. Uh, what I wanted to mention, though, is that I love how in Avengers 2, when they're having that playful scene in Stark Tower, yeah. and they're all trying to pick up the hammer. Okay, this is the movie we're talking yes. about. This is the movie. And Steve Rogers jostles it. You see the look of panic on uh-huh. Thor's face temporarily. Because nobody else at that point. Yeah. Now, this is just this is a pure wish fulfillment guess on my part. I want. I, I, I'm calling. I'm predicting. I want to see 
in battle with Thanos, Steve Rogers has to pick up that hammer. Oh, I think he will. That's just I'd love I think to see at it. some point Thor will get yeah. knocked about yeah. or we'll have to toss it to Steve and he'll grab it and do something with it. I don't want to pull down any further, but there are others. Go for it. Let's hear it. Okay. This, I'm pulled up, I pulled up an article on uh, the interwebs. Awesome Andy. Oh, okay. That's the Mad Thinker's android. So that was probably done as a joke. But, but then again, non-living beings okay. have been... That's, that, that's a loophole in Odin's enchantment. <laughs> they can okay. sometimes pick up the hammer. Uh, which explains Vision picking it up. Yep. There's a, a what-if story where Conan lifts it. Okay, I remember that what-if, yep. Uh, in Avengers Assemble Number 4, Hulk. Interesting. That, I, I, you know, again, that just, one I didn't know. Interesting. Uh, now, look at this. There's, there's the Ultimates where Magneto lifts it. Uh, really? Red Hulk lifts it. Red Hulk now? That's it's oh. what it says here. Uh, and Hulk Volume 2, number 5 from 2008. Of course, they mentioned Superman. Uh, uh, Throg? Frog. So it's a scene in Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers number one. Oh, okay. That's the, the frog, frog Thor. Yeah. Thor Frog, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's for Simonson. Uh, Thunderstrike. Questionable canonicity. That's the oh, Eric, Eric Masterson. Yeah, yeah okay, so my, he, uh, he merged with Thor for it. And yeah. you're correct, sir. Uh, Mr. Myrtle, Wonder Woman. No Storm, though. I don't see it. Let's sit here. Okay. Again, it's the interweb. Take it at your... And, well, then there's also Jane Foster, but I guess that's kind of the same deal yeah. as with Eric Masters. True. So. Yeah, true. Plus, Frigga kind of tampered with the enchantment a little bit, so... Now, who hasn't lifted the hammer? <laughs> <laughs> like in the movies where they joke around about, well, it, it goes up in an elevator, but the elevator's not worthy. Is there ever <laughs> any kind it's of... It's a non-living being. <laughs> is there ever, like, a banter of that in one of the issues anywhere in time? I mean, I know we're oh, talking about the Silver Age, but... Somewhere. I'd like to read an issue where they banter about that somewhere. Sounds like something Bendis would write. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But I don't remember. I haven't read that, but that doesn't mean, of course, it doesn't mean it's not out there. So, so somebody knows, drop us a line on the. I mean, I I think in in the scene in in, in the film Avengers two, and that that scene was so Joss Whedon. It it Mm -hmm. was so perfectly written, and just so what that's so in his wheelhouse. The way that scene, you know. I mean, there's the one at the party, and at the end when they're leaving. the new Avengers base when they Tony, Steve, and Thor just yeah. bantering about that. It, those are both great scenes. I love them. Now, uh, in terms of the power of Molnir, first of all, as I mentioned, it can pass through any barrier to return to its wielders. So if Thor throws the hammer, it has to come back. And Murd always tells the great story. I forgot the number, but I, I've read it. The Marvel team up, where Spider Man hangs on to the hammer. As it flies back to Thor, he can't stop it. Of course, he's just kind of clinging to it with his stickum as it goes back to <laughs> Thor's hand. Uh, that, do you remember I, that? Might have been Matt that told that story. I, I, th- I thought you did. I don't think I did. Oh, I, I, well. I remember it, but I don't think I'm the one who told <laughs> yeah. it. But uh, I, I've read that issue too, and it, that, that's a lot of fun. Now, of course, one of the great plot devices of the Silver Age—we all know this—if <laughs> Thor is separated from Mjolnir for more than sixty seconds. He reverts to his human persona of Donald Blake. Now, obviously, you can see that every Marvel character, especially the Silver Age, has to have that, that Achilles heel, right? That, that, that weakness that can trip him up and, and make interesting stories. So we should note again, that's gone. You never hear about no. Thor. I mean, that, that, that's not I – mean, in fact, again, probably a lot of newer readers or, or watchers of the films have no clue what we're talking about essentially because – that, that was phased out a long time ago, and we'll talk about why, because it also do with what happened to Donald Blake 
essentially. But in the, very much in the Silver Age, for most of the Silver Age, that that's a constant presence. That I can't let go of the hammer for more than sixty seconds. Like <laughs> you have scenes where Thor try, like tries to hide in a crowd among people, like <laughs> he's, you know, because Jane's going to see that I'm Thor, and or you know, this and that. So, oh, that whole just um, <laughs> so that it's it's a it's a it's a key plot device um, in the Silver Age. But again, as I said, it's now defunct. Now, as I mentioned, Thor and, and Shane use the word conduit. It, Mjolnir is a conduit for Thor's powers. So, as we all mentioned, as Murray mentioned earlier, Thor is the god of thunder. So he has absolute control and mastery over the weather, which I would imagine, Murray, has to do with the fact that he's partially of Earth, is, is my guess there. Makes good sense to me. Uh, as well. Now, and he uses the hammer as sort of like to channel a lot of that power. You see classic images of Thor... You know, whirling Mjolnir above his head, summoning like thunder and lightning and, and, and tempests of rain uh, and so forth. The hammer can shoot energy blasts. It can construct barriers, force fields, and he can spin at amazing speeds and fly with it. Although, although they've established Thor can fly without the hammer, but he uses it to kind of propel himself, essentially, that unbreakable leather thong that he, that he, he uses to spin around. Um, he can pierce dimensional walls, create time vortexes, go back and forth in time using... Molnir's power. This this is this is a the ultimate weapon. Who uh, needs a TARDIS? <laughs> in his possession. Any, any questions or comments on Molnir? I think they do a good job in the movie of showing what Molnir does. As far as like the second uh, Thor of the Dark World, when he's trying to throw it about and it's going off planet, coming back, like he just sticks his hand out and jumps and there it is to catch him, that kind of stuff. They do a, a, a pretty good job of making you aware of just how essential that is to him. Absolutely, I agree. Now, uh, talking to the uh, Whovians in the room here, uh, <laughs> talking of the uh, hammer as a time travel device and uh, who needs a TARDIS. Uh, apparently, uh, one writer, I, I, I want to say it was Roy Thomas, but I'm not 100% certain, uh, saw the problems that uh, Thor having the abilities to travel through time unchecked might cause. Um, thought it made him a little too powerful. They actually uh, constri- contrived a story involving uh, Immortus and the Space Phantom, uh, in which Thor voluntarily sacrificed the time travel capabilities oh. of Mjolnir. Uh, right, so he, well done. he lost those powers after a little bit. But for a little while there, yep. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought you were going to go with uh, they had a Doctor Who appearance and he zapped it with the sonic screwdriver to shut it off. Uh, nope, that would but be cool, but, but that's uh, pretty good. not where I was going with that. That he actually sacrificed. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> uh, Shay, would you be so kind of to bring up the map of Asgard, sure. please? Uh, if we're going to talk about Thor's powers or origin, we have to talk a little bit about Asgard itself. Now, Asgard, of course, has gone through various incarnations in the Marvel comic. Uh, for a period of time, it, it hovered above Oklahoma. Uh, yes. For Broxton. the Broxton? Broxton? Yes. Broxton. Broxton. Yeah. Okay. But we're talking about the Silver Age it had version. had a mailbox. That's right. It did have a mailbox. Right now we're talking about the Silver Age version of Asgard, the realm maternal. I love the Lee hyperbole in, in Thor. <laughs> now, Mer, do you pronounce it Aesir? Um, I, I put the accent on the first syllable. I, I think it's Acer. Okay, and, and that refers to the Asgardians, the people of Odin, mm-hmm. essentially. And there was also a second race of Asgardian gods called the Vanir. Uh, That's correct. Who uh, were fairly prominent. They, they were like a race of fertility deities, I think. They're actually from the Old Norse myths, but uh, they, they do eventually become semi-important um, in at least one story from the Silver Age, the, the Vanir do. God, I'm glad Mert's here. <laughs> we'll get to it. 
Now, uh, so it's a little bit about Asgard as it's interpreted in the Marvel Universe. So it's often known as the Nine Realms. So Asgard is one of the Nine Realms. Now, oftentimes you'll see it, and we'll put up some images in a moment, you'll see it portrayed as a huge sort of rock floating in, in space, essentially. Was, it, was there a life tree also I'm thinking of? Is that something else? Murd, go ahead. Uh, oh. The Yggdrasil. Yes, the oh, world ash. It's a gigantic ash tree, and it's kind of a uh, like a cosmological metaphor for uh, time and space. And uh, Cosmological metaphor. That's correct. Exactly. Not a match. The board goes back. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I understood that. Password. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you need to watch more GSN, uh, but yeah, so the, each of the nine realms are thought to be like a different branch on this massive cosmic tree. And down at the base of it, there's this dragon named Nidhogg and who guards this uh, magic pool where prophecies can be And that's be all from Norse mythology. Of course, yeah. And there's even a squirrel There's like a, a, that runs up and down this world ash, which actually appeared in the unbeatable Squirrel Girl series recently. Ratatosk. <laughs> Ratatosk the god squirrel. I don't want to say. I don't want to say after that. <laughs> Well, Pat, what I would say was think back to the first Thor film where he's having that intimate scene with Jane Foster on the rooftop and Mm, he's sketching for her. Yes. He's explaining the world tree, essentially. So they incorporate – thank you, Mark. They incorporate all of that into the comic, into the Marvel Universe. And the map uh, Shane has up on the screen now, they show you uh, the various realms. Now, some of these, of course, get a lot of play in the Marvel Universe. Some you don't hear much about. Others they, they mention all the time. Bird, did you want to comment on any of these uh, particular realms? Uh, well, I can't see the map very well from where I'm at. Oh, let's see. Muspelheim, Realm of the Fire Demons. Jotunheim, Realm of the Storm Giants. The movie conflates uh, Niflheim yeah. and Jotunheim because Niflheim is actually where the Frost Giants are from. Mm-hmm. Jotunheim, the Storm Giants are a completely different race. Uh, let's see. Nastrund, uh, home of Fafnir, uh, was a, a wizard who became a dragon. Through Fantastic. Some uh, some uh, misdeed of his own. Uh, Valhalla, of course, is the it's like the Asgardian heaven, realm of the valiant dead, um, and hell, realm of the, uh, the well more shameful dead, where the, death, where the death goddess Hela H-E-L, resides. Right, exactly. Right, right. Or the goddess herself in the old Norse myths was called Hell, also. It was like an eponym for her realm. But yeah, so Marvel admitted that to Hela, which I think is convenient. And Varenheim, I don't remember what's going on there. Uh, I don't see Svartalfheim on there, but it's, uh, no. that, that's where the Dark Elves live. Um, Scorn, I don't remember what Scornheim is either. Uh, we should also mention... General map? Has <laughs> it changed? And also, I'm sorry, Mark, go ahead. Forest of the, is that the, yes, the Norn Forest, which is where Carnilla, uh, the, uh, as Guardian Sorceress. Who's Balder. Yeah, so yes. she's fairly important character. Yes, so she, she is. She lives there. And we should mention, of course, the Bifrost. Which as, is also commonly known as the Rainbow Bridge, and you'll notice in the map where they indicate Asgard. That's when they when they talk about Thor and the Asgardians. They're focusing on that part of the nine realms where Odin's people live, and of course they use the Bifrost to travel to Midgard and I believe to other dimensions as well. Um, there's there's other dimensions that are not shown on this map where they can also travel to, uh, essentially. Uh, Shay, would you call up the image, uh, the Kirby image of Asgard uh, and the Rainbow Bridge, please? I think some of Kirby's most stunning art in, in the series, in the Silver Age, is his, his, his imagination, his imagining of Asgard, the realm eternal, 
and the Bifrost or the Rainbow Bridge. And I think it's one of the most breathtaking images Kirby came up with throughout the Silver Age. Essentially, Murray, are we going to say something? I'm sorry. Younger people watching at home, shout out if this image makes you think of Super Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my generation. Yeah, yeah. I'd and, go along with that, Murd. Fantastic. I so hate, I hate that course. <laughs> the Asgard again. We often see it portrayed in the comic, like in, like on the uh, image Shane has on the screen. It's based like a, like a. Not a planetoid. It's like it's like almost like a con- a continent, kind of floating in space, and it has its own atmosphere. In fact, there's one issue where Odin tells Thor, "There's a drought. Can you come home and create rain for us, please?" <laughs> I thought the Asgardians have issues with their environment, I guess, but um, but you know they have they have water. They and, and you know it doesn't like nothing. Kind of like falls off the edges. Like I guess they have their own kind of gravitational field, uh, essentially. But uh, it, it's some of, I think some of Kirby's greatest imagery and just how he imagines Asgard. I remember when the Thor movie came out, and I saw it for the first time, and I was with, saw it with Danielle and Bill, and they showed Asgard. Yeah. And I went, did a great <gasps> sweep across. I, went, <gasps> I, t- I turned to yeah. Danielle and I said, Kirby. <laughs> and, uh, Set design in that movie was glorious. Yeah, and I mean, there, there was some sort of funky Flash Gordon elements that kind of. Oh yes, there were. Well, like, but but you could definitely like. I remember one point when they show this. They show like some sort of floating construct in the middle of space. Like, oh, that's pure Kirby. Uh, so that was and the, the huge statues towering over people. Uh, that was thrilling to see on the screen, yeah. uh, essentially. But when you think and when, uh, a phrase I think of when I think of Thor is glory and grandeur. And that's very much in Kirby's depiction of Asgard, essentially. In fact, Shane, if you go to the image of Odin, which is from Thor 143. Oh, that same issue with the Enchantress and the malt shop. He looks very dog-like to me in this picture. But I I have to read Thor's description of the All-Father. Because actually he's telling some kids about – because they want to know what life is like in Asgard. So he's recounting what it's like. And he says, yea, beyond description, even as he who rules the fabled realm is beyond description, for he doth surpass all understanding. Let it suffice to know that he be Odin, the all-wise, the truly omnipotent. Odin, maker of the law, speaker of the word, keeper of the faith. Odin, the lasting power, the lightning wrath, the living judgment. Verily, he be Asgard incarnate, and to the god of thunder he be one thing more. He be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. For him do I call Father. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, <laughs> I was almost overcome by the sheer mm, <laughs> drama of that, or melodrama, I should say. <coughs> I want to know why he drew Batman heads on his knuckles. <laughs> Wait, let me take a look at that. Yeah, oh, yeah, look at that. Right, he does look dog-like. I think it's that shadow it, on his nose. It's, it's the shadow on his nose, the way his hair and whiskers are with the eyes. It, he just looks it, like a big pug. just does look a little bit odd. But... It's that just sheer cosmic grandeur that Kirby brought to this book that so thrilled me. As I read these Silver Age issues, as I collected them as back issues or read reprints as as I was growing up. So we can understate the role of Asgard in these stories. And again, throughout the Silver Age, much of the tension is between Thor's duties to Asgard and his devotion to Midgard, which is Earth, and to the people of Earth. Any questions or comments about Asgard before we... uh, Move on here. Just, just that in my head, I'm going, Odin, he who was Disney's Shaggy Man. <laughs> oh. Odin's, Odin's will be a lot of fun to talk about. Now, and of course, as we mentioned, Asgard goes through its own incarnations throughout 
the history of the Marvel Universe. We mentioned it floats above Oklahoma at one point. Uh, it's it's destroyed at one point. Now I think it's called Asgardia, if I remember correctly. You do, yeah, Asgardia. <laughs> and uh, is it floating up in space again? I think it is. It's definitely not above Oklahoma anymore. It's not above Oklahoma. Yeah. So maybe we'll get to that down the is road. Is it now Xanadu? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never saw that movie. Oh my god, it's fabulous. Where nobody it's... <laughs> dared to go. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I watched that on HBO as a kid. <laughs> I listen to that soundtrack all the time. I've seen the movie only once, but the soundtrack is ten times better than the movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) i got to put that on my list, Shane. Xanadu. That and that horrible sci-fi film where Sean Connery is running around like a leotard. Oh, like Zartox. Zartox, yeah. Or or Zardoz. I'm sure I've seen that. Yeah, the the DC character Vartox is actually based on him in that movie. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's uh, plunge into the checklist. (laughs) And uh, let's talk about... Just some of Thor's key moments, appear- appearances, uh, classic plot lines from the Silver Age. And as we go through, you're going to notice that they kind of start off Thor the way they start off a lot of the Marvel heroes in that he ends up inevitably fighting communists, <laughs> which, was, which was a favorite plot device of Stan Lee in the early oh, oh, Silver and Age. And of his brother, too. Larry yeah. was big into writing Red Scare type plots. commies! <laughs> All right? So and there's one Thor story just entitled Prisoner of the Reds. So... I love that early Cold War paranoia of the 60s. <laughs> yeah, All-powerful Thor captured by the Russians. Actually, I think it was the Chinese in the that Chinese? particular story. Oh, okay. So it kind of starts with that type of story. And then as the series progresses, and a lot of this I'm sure is Kirby's input, it just starts to blow up with this incredible sense of operatic, you know, Wagnerian grandeur. And Lee starts mm-hmm. to include the Elizabethan dialogue in, with the characters. And I can't overstate enough the importance of the Tales of Asgard, uh, which was backup stories in Journey to Mystery 97 to 125, then in the Mighty Thor issue uh, series 126 to 145. Now, those stories heavily incorporate Norse mythology, but then they adapt it to the Marvel Universe, essentially. And some of the stories are about the, basically the genesis of the Asgardians. Others are about stories about Thor and his youth. Uh, there's a classic story, with, which is the origin of Loki and, you know, the Frost Giants and all of that. And there's a, a longer epic in Tales of Asgard, which introduces the Warriors Three, which we'll get to, which takes place in sort of the, 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 the current continuity of that time where Thor is sent on a quest on this magni- classic Kirby, this magnificent, like, Viking longship that floats through space because they're concerned that an a, a artifact known as the Oversword, which can which which if it, I think if it's pulled from its sheath can is like the beginning of Ragnarok. Oh yes, um, has been rattled or is in danger of some some kind, and Thor sent on a quest uh, by Odin to prevent all this from happening. Now I, I have to make a very important point here, not because this is another recurring theme in the Silver Age. Not only is Odin often a dick. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to Loki, Odin is often also very dim. You're going to find over and over again, Odin will give Loki multiple chances. At one point, he'll give Loki some of his power and leave him in charge of Asgard. Uh, and then inevitably, of course, oh, Loki gets up to mischief because he's, the, he's the, the trickster god. And all kinds of mayhem ensues. Odin comes back. He punishes Loki, then he gives him more power down the road again, or he trusts him. Like, when they go on this quest in the longship, Odin insists that Thor and Loki are the co-commanders 
uh, of the quest. You can imagine how that works out. This shall end well. Yes. Both of you lead. But it's hilarious. I'll get to one particular plot I thought was especially, you know, a scream. How Loden will be duped by Loki over and over again. Uh, granted, he is the god of, tr- of tricks, but throughout these stories, it, it's it's exasperatingly funny uh, as, as we go through these. So we'll, we'll touch upon uh, some of those as well as we move through the checklist. Now, as Murd mentioned, Journey to Mystery 83, the stone men from Saturn. Now, think back to Thor the Dark World. When he's in that melee in the beginning, remember he, he, he comes from the sky and like smashes right through that stone bin. Yeah. That's a stone man from Saturn. That's clearly what that was inspired by. Now, Murr, don't they have another name? Uh, yes. They're okay. not really from Saturn at right. all, of course. Uh, they're, they're from a planet called Krona. So they're called mm. uh, Cronans. But that, that's... Uh, that's retro, retro continuity, uh, well, right? Yes, of yeah. course. Yeah. So... Yeah, during the whole uh, Hulk... Uh, the Planet Hulk story, when Hulk was... Uh, One bomb- of them is in, uh, in the Gladiator pit, isn't it? Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, right. He's a Borg, I think, or something. Or yeah. Korg. Yeah. So in, the, in this early story, you know... Alien Menace from Outer Space. It's a classic plot device of you know the early Silver Age. Uh, we were introduced to Donald Blake, who is a renowned doctor and surgeon on vacation in Norway. <laughs> uh, you know he's, he's he's limp. He has a limp. He's he's lame. He has his his, his walking cane. And the stonemen from Saturn arrive in a scout craft, and Blake sees them. They chase him, and he, he's he's drawn to this cave, this ancient cave. And he gets trapped, and he finds this is his old wa- gnarled walking stick. And Shade could go back to the origin page, please. Yippers. Thank you. And he tries to use the, the cane as like a lever to open the, the, the entrance to the cave because he's blocked and he can't. His frustration, he strikes it, and then he's transformed. And Blake realizes that he's, he now has the power of the ancient Norse god Thor, essentially. Now, if you look at the imagery... The costume of Thor didn't it really hasn't changed that much. No. Uh, well, I mean, it's since changed from the Straczynski era forward, but from the Silver Age well into the into the Simonson era, that's basically Thor's costume. It's it's been tweaked a little bit, maybe the boots a little bit, the way they're portrayed. Uh, but that's basically his the costume that Kirby initially designed. Now you'll notice these early stories. Thor is not speaking in in in, in Lee's pseudo Elizabethan dialogue. Yeah, because Thor really isn't Thor. It's it's uh, it's Doctor Donald Blake. Yes. He's still believing that he is a human being at exactly. this point, and he's just. There's one scene in this issue where he's trying to remember. What do I remember of Thor from my school days? Exactly, exactly. So he, it's not so much that he is Thor; it's that he's still Donald Blake, just wearing Thor's body. Exactly. So <coughs> he has manifested Thor's powers, but as you read the story, as Murder's right on the money, it's Blake. Reveling in this power, and, and you're right, trying to remember, well, what I learned about Thor when I was a kid, and, you know, all Thursday's named after him, he says that, for example. And in, in the initial stories, that's the way they kind of portray Thor. Like, it's like, all right, it's another Marvel superhero, it's a guy who has these powers. But as the series progresses, they, they sort of twist that and put that on its head, and you start to realize this isn't a human being with the powers of Thor, this is Thor. Essentially, and eventually they're going to explain. Well, who the heck is Donald Blake then? And they're going to get into that uh, over time. Now, issue eighty-four. Oh, just a mo- please, the, the last panel of eighty-three of, of history eighty-three knocks me out. It's an editor's note. He goes, "Thor, the mighty, the greatest new superhero of all time, will appear regularly in during mystery." Reserve next month's issue at your news dealer now. It's <laughs> sure to be a sellout. 
I never thought to reserve that my news dealer when I was in the 70s. I so many issues I would have missed. Could you have done that back in the 60s, reserve at your news dealer? I guess if you had a good relationship with, with the uh, local. <laughs> yeah, I think if you went to the same one and oh, I you guess were... I, anyway, just, I was always, always bummy trying to get issues in the 70s. I would miss two issues here and there. I, just not well, pants, I was in the same boat because, you know, I didn't discover a local comic shop till the 80s. So when I was getting comics in the late 70s and early 80s, I was, I was captive to the convenience store right. or a flea market. Mm-hmm. So you got whatever was that was there, and that was it. So, anyway, true. yes. Well, done. now didn't they inexplicably spell four with two R's in that last? Oh, right, right, right. Not in this. Uh, I, I, okay, I want to say in the original they did. Someone can correct me on that uh, on the forms <laughs> forms if I'm wrong there. Now, issue eighty four uh, is by uh, Lieber Kirby and uh, the great inker Dick Ayers, who often inked Kirby in the, in the early Silver Age. First appearance of Jane Foster. Now, Jane Foster first appears as a nurse who works for Donald Blake. Ah, the days when your doctor had a local office. You didn't have to, you know, worry about going broke and losing your home if you had some <laughs> kind of, you know, severe medical emergency. There yeah. wasn't even medical insurance back then because you could actually afford to pay the doctor. That's right. Don't get me started on that tangent. <laughs> so now when Jane is first rendered and realizes the character of the Silver Age – I think it's fair to say she's the typical Stan Lee female supporting <laughs> character. Murder, you're rolling your eyes. What do you think I mean by that? Uh, I think you mean that she's kind of simpering and uh, weak and uh, for her main personality trait is uh, making goo-goo eyes at uh, the, the hero. Pretty much. So. And being the damsel in distress. Oh, yes. That. Or a source of jealousy, uh, things of that nature. Now, as we all know, of course, the Jane Foster that we see in comics <clears throat> today is a dramatically different Although it's still the same character. The history is all there, but it's a dramatically different character because we all, we all know who she is. So I can say that, right? Because yeah. she's Thor now, So, um, and that, that's, we'll talk about that I'm sure, hopefully down the road. But this Jane Foster in the, in the early Silver Age, and it murders right on the money here, it's classic. It's like the way Karen Page is portrayed, often the way, yeah, okay, often yeah. the way in, Sue Storm was portrayed, the invisible uh, – well, she, then she was known as the invisible girl um, – Many of these female characters, very, very physically beautiful, uh, intelligent, but very much there to either moon over the hero or to be a distraction for the hero or to be a source of jealousy or things yeah, of that nature. An objective for the hero. Yeah. So Jane is Donald Blake's nurse, and one of the plot devices of this era is she – Definitely has feelings for Donald Blake, which is very much more drawn to Thor. And, of course, one of the agonies is that Blake is like, I, I want to tell her I'm actually <laughs> Thor. And, of course, we learn dear old dad, Odin, constantly forbids Thor from revealing his identity to Jane, which is a source of tension and frustration between Thor and his father, the All-Father, Odin, mm. who is the word and the way. Now... <laughs> Murd, this story also introduces the executioner. Want to hold forth on him for a moment? Okay. Well, well this is not the uh, more famous of the executioner characters that uh, Thor has faced over the years. Uh, this is uh, – it, it's not Scourge. Oh, it's not, it's not the Norse executioner. I'm nope, sorry. This I is apologize. a different guy. That's He's right. just a petty dictator of the South American country of San Diablo. And pants? He's a commie. <laughs> no. A dirty, dirty red. He's a pico. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he he, re- he rules this South American country, Sandy, which which the name translates to Saint Devil. So that all kinds of sense there, and yeah, so Thor uh, beats him up and all of his um, 
uh, his hombres and, uh, I guess, liberates the country. Yep. So for the power of democracy, forces of, of freedom. We have to remember when these stories are being written. I mean, think about Fantastic Four One. We're not going to the commies beat us into space, right? That, that Lee's tapping into the, the sort of the cultural zeitgeist of that time, which was – remember, this is the early 60s. The, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis was unfolding, the space race. So that was very much on people's minds. And you, it, I mean, Iron Man, my God, is all about those early stories. The Red Menace, right? Oh, yeah, the arm, international arms race. Yeah, so that seeps into a lot of the early Marvel stories. Now, I, I, I think about the first appearance, uh, uh, um, the Hulk. Was it the Gremlin? The communist Asian he, he faces I, in that? I can never remember if it's the Gremlin or the Gargoyle. I think it's the Gargoyle. It's the Gargoyle, yeah. So, yeah, and there was a spy named Igor Drenkov who was present. I think he's the one who actually fouled up the, uh, the detonation. That's right. So, and then, of course, you know, these are all classic Cold War uh, motifs that Lee was working in here and Lieber working in here. Now, issue 85 is a very important issue in the early history of the Mighty Thor. Look at the, look at the laundry list of first appearances here. So we've got Baldur the Brave, Odin, Heimdall, Loki, and Tyr. Now, we all know who Odin is now. Heimdall, of course... Is the guardian of the Bifrost, the Rainbow Bridge. He is like the sentinel, you know, who guards the gateway between Asgard and other dimensions. Merge, you want to say something? I'm sorry. Nope, nope. Uh, well, and uh, go ahead. Well, okay, I'll throw in. I think he's the one who uh, is responsible for o- uh, for Loki getting set free. If I'm remembering that part of the story correctly. Yes. It's either is it him or Baldur? I forget. No, is it, it's, it's it's right here. Okay, uh, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Now, Tyr is got is God of the Lightning. I believe he's a war god. War god. I think okay. of him as the uh, like the equivalent of Ares, approximately. Okay. And he's one-handed. That's, that's, that's his right. major physical trait. One of his hands was chopped off sometime. And of course, Baldur the Brave, who I, I'm sorry to say has not been put in the movies. Maybe they felt they just had enough Asgardians there. I don't know. But he's one of Thor's <laughs> closest friends. And I think in modern content, they've established that it's actually Thor's half-brother, huh. if I remember correctly. And he's one of the most powerful of all the Asgardians. He's completely loyal to Thor. Uh, he's fought by his side innumerable times. Um, he actually had his own miniseries. Simonson did a lot with Baldur uh, when he was uh, helming the characters uh, in the 1980s. And he plays a key role throughout the Silver Age uh, as well. And, of course, this is the first appearance of the Marvel version of Loki, god of mischief. Or sometimes they call him the god of evil as well, um, the trickster god. And, of course, he is Odin's sort of stepson. That when Odin had uh, smited his, his Loki's father Lofi, um, and they show you that version of that in the, in the, the, the film, uh, he takes pity and adopts Loki as his own. Big mistake. <laughs> and uh, Loki, of course, grows up alongside Thor as brothers. But of course, we all know Loki. It, it, this jealousy burns in Loki's bosom because he feels he's better than Thor, superior to Thor than. Thor has all the glory. Thor is heir to the throne. And Loki just can't abide the fact that his, as he often says, my doltish half-brother uh, is, or stepbrother is, uh, you know, above me, essentially. Now, as Pants mentioned, so Odin periodically will banish Loki or, or imprison him for his misdeeds. So he's encased Loki in a tree. <laughs> and... <laughs> According to the, ban- to, the, to the spell, if someone sheds a tear over Loki, he'll be freed. And I think Loki gains control of a leaf, and he makes it fall yep. from the tree. And is it tear then feels 
sheds a tear over the leaf, and then Loki is broken free from his yeah. imprisonment. Yeah, uh, the yep. leaf goes straight into Heimdall's eye and causes him Heimdall's eye, excuse me, not to tear, tear up. <laughs> and then Loki's free. Mm-hmm. This loophole. kind of this kind of thing will happen in various in various forms over and over and over. If Brian Deemer here would be shouting right now, just kill him. <laughs> I mean, he would too. <laughs> I mean, later on, they reveal that Odin will have this summer moment where he tells the Asgardians when Ragnarok occurs, Loki will be the cause of it. I, can hear, I, I heard De- Brian Deemer shouting from the hilltops, then you kill him, obviously. <laughs> Just like Joker. Yeah. Or Bullseye, right? You kill him. Anyway. Um, Murd, issue 86. I couldn't wait, hey, wait till you talk about Zarko. Yes. Artur Zarko, the Tomorrow Man from the 27th century. The year 2662 A.D., to be precise. Um, yeah, his origin runs somewhat similar to, to Kang's, actually. and they, they were The Conqueror. Pretty, yes, exactly. Uh, he comes from a, a future time that's a little too peaceful for his taste, so he uh, jury-rigs some time travel technology and uh, travels to the past to cause mischief. Comes back to get his hands on uh, a weapon, I believe. And Thor thwarts him. And we should mention, again, that Cold War aspect in this story... <laughs> Thor decides to help the U.S. military test missiles <laughs> and their new weapon, the Cobalt Bomb, and he allows the bomb to be detonated near him so the military can study its effects, essentially. So it's fun, from a 21st century perspective, watching a superhero allow the military to use him as a guinea pig to test you know, weapons that potentially threaten all of the human race. <laughs> sure. I have nothing to fear. Blast away. <laughs> Fantastic. And this is the first issue where Molnir demonstrates time travel capabilities. Right. And Murd mentioned eventually those will be stripped uh, from the Oru Hammer. 87, all I have to shout is, Prisoner of the Reds! <laughs> so Thor ends up in communist China. Uh, again, like the communist bugaboo is being tapped here for all its worth, essentially, as a plot device. Shan, I thought of you as I was reading about issue 88. Oh, yeah? Because it just reminded me of... of of your sense of humor, because I know you'll find this funny. So, Loki's up to one of his innumerable schemes. And at the climax of the story, he disguises himself as a pigeon among a, 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 a fl- I guess you call it a flock of pigeons. Sure. And so, the idea is Thor can't tell which pigeon is false, so he takes a bag of peanuts. <laughs> Uh, I, I love early Marvel Silver this Age. Is an old, well, this is an old gag. Odysseus yeah. actually used uh, a ruse like this to find uh, the disguised Achilles in uh, one part of the Trojan War. He was disguised as a ah, woman. from the Iliad. So Odi- yeah. Exactly. And so uh, the uh, Odysseus showed up with uh, disguised as a peddler and uh, displayed a bunch of uh, That's right, pretty I remember baubles, that. Well done, well uh, done. For the, to, to, to attract the women and then also displayed some daggers and weapons. And the one of the uh, women at this place that uh, fig- fingered the weapons, Odysseus did. Uh, discerned was uh, Achilles. And I give Lee so, more credit that he was tapping into some uh, some Homer there, mm-hmm. apparently. Mm-hmm. So pigeons are funnier, though. Yes, well, especially because just as we as we see here, so Loki's not drawn to the peanuts. So obviously Thor figures out which pigeon is false, and then <laughs> he happens to then ensnare the false pigeon <laughs> in a tennis net, thereby done, capturing Loki yet again. I've done that with things flying in my house over time. <laughs> Fantastic. Or, or I thought of also when he said a flock of pigeons of doing the pigeon, pigeon. doing the <laughs> pigeon. I have that on thirty three. I have it on a 
What's the bigger one? 45? 33. 30, is that 33? 33 and a third. I, I Bert's greatest that. hits. Yep. <laughs> I have a whole Sesame Street album. Oh, that, yeah. my God. We digress. I'm sorry. I, I love your digressions. Never, never fear. Shane, would you go to uh, the Dancing Journey of Mystery 89 cover, please? Every day. The kind of ballet sweeps <laughs> me away. Pants acting uh, as minstrel. Fantastic. Oh hey, you can't go wrong you with Sesame Street. can't go wrong with, with, with Bert singing his greatest yeah, hits. Yeah, that's true. Now, this, this is, I think... <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was poor Ernie. That was more Muttley than Ernie. This is one of, uh, I think, one of the great Silver Age images of Thor. Yeah. We've probably all seen this in various media because it's Kirby. And I, th- I think the first Thor t-shirt they did in the 60s was this image. This is a very famous image of Thor, him preparing us to go into flight or to battle, rolling the hammer around yep. by the leather thong, his other arm outstretched. Classic Thor pose, vintage Kirby. You see it used over and over again. And what looks uh, like tiger boots, the way they're drawn. Ah. <laughs> Good old Shandy Poo. <laughs> now, I should mention, in these early issues, Kirby doesn't pencil every issue of Journey to Mystery. He and Lee don't start their uh, unerupted partnerships a little bit later on in the book. So other people are writing at different times, usually from plots Lee has conceived. And Kirby pencils some, but like, for example, Al Hartley pencils this issue. Uh, Joe Sinnott pencils some issues. Uh, so and Kirby will pop in and out as well. Now, issue ninety. This begins the great frustration, both spiritual and sexual, for Thor, as he he petitions his father for the, his permission to reveal his identity to Jane to win her love. Because Jane always pines about how great Thor is in the presence of Donald Blake, and and Odin just outright refuses. And this is this is the key tension between father and son throughout much of the Silver Age. It leads to some some great drama and, frankly, some really uh, ridiculous situations where Odin makes decisions that are because he's so angry about Thor having the hots for a mortal. He, he lead, leads to some very ill-conceived command decisions on his part, uh, as we're going to see. But that all kind of starts here. Now. Issue 91, uh, Joe Sinnott pencils. Remember, Sinnott is, is a penciler in his own right as well as a legendary inker. Remember, do you remember who Sandu was? Uh, vaguely. Sandu the Mystic. Yes. And uh, he's just a human being who was used as a cat's paw by Loki because you know, in one, of, you know, one of the many reversals of his relationship with Odin, as you pointed out, Chris, uh, he was kind of on the downs with Odin at this point, and he had, uh, he had been forced to swear that he wouldn't strike against Thor on Earth, so he found this Sandu guy and imbued him with a bunch of yes. his, Loki's own mystical power and sent him against Thor. That's not the first time Loki used other agents as proxies Ooh, to yes. strike out against Thor. We'll see that as we go through the checklist. Master manipulator, that one. Indeed. Now... Issue 91 also introduced another element of Norse mythology, which is the Valkyries. And in this story, apparently, uh, Odin wants to provide Thor with a strength-enhancing belt. I love how – this is classic early Silver Age where the, those kind of come up with powers off the cuff to kind of help propel a certain plot along. And uh, the Valkyries are sent to Midgard, which is what the Asgardians refer to Earth as, to provide Thor with this belt. So you'll see at various times – Lee will, will snatch or Libra will snatch different elements of Norse mythology and incorporate them into this their own version of this character that they're creating here in his world. Now, Loki pops again in issue 90. Loki appears constantly throughout <laughs> yes. the Marvel Silver Age. We're not going to go into every single one of his appearances in detail. Uh, 92 is also significant because it's the first appearance of Frigga. Explain, please, sir, the significance of Frigga. Uh, well, she's Odin's wife. She's uh, the matriarch of Asgard. 
Uh, power, well, yeah, so she, she's a, actually also the all-mother in the current... But uh, not Thor's, as you said, natural mother. Right, right. But she, she raised him. As if yeah. uh, he were his, her, her own. Yeah. Yes, and uh, so she's always been... She's been a constant and stabilizing presence in the halls of Asgard. And I'm wondering, because, you know, that, that they... Of course, they she dies in Thor the Dark mm-hmm. World. I'm wondering if they're ever going to explore in the movies. Maybe they just don't have the time... As we know, Thor's ties to Earth in terms of his birth. I don't know if they're going to ever go into that. It'd be interesting if they did. But I'm just glad that Frigga in that movie got to have a warrior's death. She did. I would say because Disney owns Marvel, probably not. That's it. I think they will keep it more wholesome, for lack of a better way to explain it. It'll be, that's his mom and that's it. That's it. Versus... Yeah, kind of like Disney's Hercules. Yeah. Yeah, a fair observation. Where Hera friend. is definitely Hercules' mother, which yeah. is absolutely not true in the Greco-Roman myths. That's, that's, now, that's now they may not have any input. I mean, it is Marvel Studios, but that's my guess is they won't go down that road. Yeah. I think it's a valid observation, my friend. Now, issue 93, we have Kirby penciling. First appearance of the radioactive man. Of course, <laughs> commies again. Communist <laughs> China. Murray, what's the basic... Uh, What's the base of the radioactive man? Okay, he is a, uh, a red Chinaman. <laughs> Actually, he's a green Chinaman because <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Chen Lu, who is a power-hungry Chinese scientist uh, who uh, steps forward and volunteers uh, to uh, use his research into radio- uh, radiation, radioactivity mm-hmm. uh, to mutate himself into a powerhouse to challenge Thor because apparently some high-ranking Chinese communist f- official has taken it into his head that Thor is the ultimate symbol of the decadent West. And uh, he is the one superhero among dozens popping up in the United States that uh, China needs to be concerned about. And so Chen Lu uses radiation, certain wavelengths he's discovered, to bombard himself and turn into this hulking green uh, – well, hulk is kind of a loaded word – but this uh, powerful green human reactor who can produce just uh, many, many, many megarads of uh, destructive radiation and fire his blasts. And he's been used quite a bit. Since then, oh yes, remember the Thunderbolts? He was yes during like the second volume was written by Fabian Nicieza. Yeah, Tom Grummet penciling. He's been around quite a. He's been used quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yep, uh, that's probably some of the best characterization he's ever gotten. Probably probably the only real characterization he's (laughs) ever received (laughs) in terms of depth. Otherwise, he's just kind of a you know just a generic commie caricature. Exactly, but again, because of the complexity of the Thunderbolts, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, I know I talked a while back about a Thunderbolt spotlight. It is in the queue. Um, well, uh, you, you have to have Thor before you can have Thunderbolts. Exactly. Thank you for that save there, Murd. Justice like lightning. Uh, outstanding. <laughs> but because the Thunderbolts were all about the sort of shades of gray, and the reactive man characters, I think, benefited from that approach, uh, essentially. We'll talk. We'll get to the Thunderbolts eventually. Now, uh, issue uh, 94, Loki pops up yet again. He temporarily gains control of Thor uh, mentally for a brief period of time and makes mischief. Uh, again, we, we, we have to emphasize just what drives Loki is that sense of being hard done by that. I'm the right should be the rightful ruler of Asgard. I'm the one who's, who should who should claim the throne. You know, Thor is 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 is, is not should, is not the true heir. I, I am. I have the wit, the intellect and the power and so forth and so on. We should also mention though that, and they show this very well in the movies that even though Loki makes so much trouble for Thor. Thor cannot totally disassociate himself from the fact that he still sees Loki as his brother, and there's still a feeling of, 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 of I don't know if love's the right word, maybe compassion or a sense of mercy uh, to, to some degree. So it's just something. And again, 
all credit to Tom Hiddleston for just, just I think, rendering Loki so masterfully on the screen. They do a great job of throwing in that little tiny scene of them as kids while yes. Odin's telling them stories, too. That's an excellent that scene. That really yeah. shows how close they were at one yeah. point. And the competition. Yeah. Yeah, because they raced down the hallway. Thor's yeah. like, yeah, I did this. Oh, well, I won too, too. Yeah. Yep. Indeed. Now, uh, issue 95, as I mentioned, this is Lee plotting a, a writer. I'm not familiar with the name Robert Bernstein did the scripting here. Anybody know anything about him? It's the first time I've heard of him, too. Mr. Wethington. <laughs> <laughs> now, I just mentioned, I mentioned this issue because I just thought it was funny that there's a drought in Asgard, so Odin asked Thor to return so he can conjure up rain so there's no more drought. So I guess Odin doesn't have full power over the environment in, in Asgard. Go ahead, please. All right. According to Comic Book DB, yeah. Robert Bernstein, co-creator of DC's Kongorilla, Aqualad, Aqua Girl, and Archie Comics, The Jaguar. Ooh, oh, wow. Wow. It's yep. a pretty good pedigree. Yeah, he's got a pretty good uh, bibliography here. From, uh, so it's not like he did most of his work with DC then rather than Well, there's some Marvel stuff here. There's the Human Torch mm-hmm. I see here. Um, a couple other things. Of course, Thor, Tales to Astonish, Tales of Suspense. So he, oh, so he was very much present in the early Silver Age then, it sounds like. Yeah, he was born in 1919, passed in 1988, so we have to sort of write in. All right. Huh. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Now – Issue 96, again, I just thought this was fun. The Thor battle Merlin. <laughs> so Not the Merlin. I, I, could kinda, I knew you were going to – please, I, I had a feeling it wasn't the real Merlin. Go ahead, Merlin. This is – I knew it. This is – well, it's a character who's gone by several names over yeah. the years. But uh, he's been called Merlin the Mad. Mm-hmm. He's been called Merlin Demon Spawn. He called himself the Warlock for a little while. Uh, most recently, he's been called Mahayogi. And he's not really Merlin at all. He's uh, – a character who has uh, kind of a similar origin, a shared origin, really, with Ulysses Bloodstone, the famous, uh, well, not so famous, maybe, but uh, 1970s Marvel Monster Hunter character, who's kind of like Vandal Savage in that he was a, like a caveman, a Neanderthal, who encountered a mystic relic called the Blood Gem, which got embedded in his <laughs> chest and gave him immortality and similar powers. So this uh, person who became Merlin uh, got a fragment of this blood gem in himself, which gave him extreme longevity, and eventually he acquired various mystical and quasi-mystical powers. He impersonated Merlin for a time in the days of Camelot, and then he was sealed away in a casket, and uh, Thor was the one who got to release him upon the modern-day Marvel Universe. See, ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to understand here is as I was preparing the spotlight, I thought, okay, you know, time is always limited. I said, I thought to myself, I doubt that's the Arthurian Merlin, but I know. I didn't have to check. I said, I just know that Murd will be able to handle that. And I've said it before. If I'm in battle and I'm in that foxhole, they're about to be overrun <laughs> by the commies. <laughs> and I'll throw myself Mur- on that no, red no, grenade no, 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 for no, you. Not, not even that, Murd. You run up with those tins full of machine gun ammunition that will save us the last minute. You want to go into battle, ladies and gentlemen? That's the man you want by your side. Right there. <laughs> Now, but you're our top kick, Chris. <laughs> Honored, sir. All right, issue 97, very important. Tales of Asgard begins. Now, again, these are backup stories, all Lee and Kirby, that run again from issue 97 through the end of Journey to Mystery, which is through issue 125. And then it continues in Thor from issue 126, I want to say through 143. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking through. I lost through. track of my notes here for a minute. Forgive me. I'm, I'm, um, yeah, the last, I think it's uh, number 145. Um, I, I don't think it's officially You're correct, called. 145. That's correct. Yep. It's really, it's basically the Warriors 3 show by then. Yes. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that's that's the last one. As I said, Tales of Asgard, and, and Mar- 
Shane, could you go to the Tales of Asgard cover for me, please? Hopefully I labeled that one correctly. I shall search. Basically, yeah, it's called Tales of Asgard. Marvel collected these a couple times. In the late 60s, they did a, they did a thick, glue-bound comic which reprinted some of those stories. The image Shane's going to bring up the screen is the Kirby cover to that original reprint comic. You find them, Shane? No, I got all the journeys to mysteries. Let's flick some other buttons. It's entitled Tales of Asgard. As you'll find it. I'll just talk about it. So they've used the image several uh, times. Ten. Button 10. 10. And oh. Marvel did, not too long ago, they did a hardcover, a beautiful hardcover. They recolored it. And they collected the entire Tales of Asgard series in one bound edition. Uh, it came out in, let's see here, 2010. I, I'm not sure if it's still in print. I hope it is. But if you're a fan of the Mighty Thor, did you find the image? Yep. Thank you. If you're a fan of the Mighty Thor, you've got to read these stories. Because not only is it Lee and Kirby, my, and my gut feeling is a lot of this is really Kirby. Um, not only incorporating a lot of the Asgardian legends and myths into the origins of sort of the Marvel Universe version of Asgard. They also delve deeper into the characters that they're elaborating upon. Like they have, you know, the first appearance of Lady Sif in these in Tales of Asgard. They have, uh, they explain, they talk about Thor and, and Loki in their youths. They give the origin of Loki as he's found by Odin. And the centerpiece is this magnificent epic where, as I mentioned, in, the, in, the, in sort of the current continuity of the Silver Age, Odin sends Thor, Loki, and the Warriors Three on a quest to prevent the coming of Ragnarok and to save, you know, prevent the, the removal of the Oversword, essentially. And how many issues does that quest go on? I'm, I'd have to look that up. I don't know off the top of my head. It's several, though. And uh, it's just it's breathtaking Kirby art. The Viking longship that, they, that floats through space, it's magnificent. Uh, Bald of the Brave is also in those stories. Uh, those stories alone are worth getting the Tales of Asgard collection. Thank you for that, because I was looking through, <coughs> I have my uh, Masterworks edition of, the, of Thor, and they're not in there. Oh, they're not because they well, started really? in '97, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm at '97, and I only have the first volume with me. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's only the Thor stories. So it's like that's what I uh, why I love having issues because there's other stories besides the Thor in Journey of the Mystery. There are in this rain here. I mean, sometimes three other stories, mm -hmm. even with some like Dicko arc of other things. And you know, hell, if I'm yeah. going to see those in my, my lifetime without getting a copy of the. And I'm I, glad you brought that up, Pants, because we have to remember that Journey of the Mystery, like Tales of Suspense. Like Tales to Astonish, like Strange Tales of the Marvel House Books. That's what they would have before they got into superheroes. That's what they had a lot of the monster stories mm -hmm. that Kirby would do, the, the, the sort of the creepy. Uh, yeah, like a Twilight Zone style. That Ditko would do. Right? Moralistic science fiction exactly. tales. The Atlas era stuff. Sure. Essentially. And those, you're right, those continued into the Marvel Silver Age uh, as backup stories. Mm -hmm. uh, so remember, going back to the history, when Martin Goodman lost his distributor, he had to go – this must have been humiliating. He had to go hat in hand to D.C. to ask if, there, if D.C.'s in-house uh, distribution arm, Independent News, would distribute his comics. And D.C. said, sure, we'll do it for you. But you can only print eight titles a month. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why these books are so important is that's how they were able to introduce a lot of these characters. They, they could put two heroes or multiple heroes into one issue essentially. That's why events like Tales of Stonish would be the Hulk and Ant-Man or, or Hulk and, and Submariner. Tales of Spence, Captain America, Iron Man, Journey to Mystery, Thor, Strange Tales, Doctor Strange, and Nick Fury. So, and yeah, this that, appeared to be a monthly book at the time, Journey yeah. to Mystery. Oh, yeah, it was. Some, so, some were not of that era. 
Those titles, Strange Tales, Tales of Suspense, Journey to Mystery, Tales to Astonish, those were four of Marvel's foundational books, basically, uh, going into the 1960s. And a lot of it's because of that distribution issue that uh, I just described. Mm-hmm. I should mention, if people are interested, uh, we did a couple of years ago with Jamie D. our two-part history of the Fantastic Four and the Silver Age. We talk about the history of Marvel uh, in much yes. greater detail. Mm-hmm. So if, you want, if you're interested in that, definitely check that out. That was, a, that was a labor of love, that one. Now, in issue 97, uh, besides Tales of Asgard, we also have Odin once again telling Thor you cannot get together <laughs> with Jane Foster. Jane is so upset because she's frustrated by Donald Blake, doesn't seem interested enough in her, yet she's also pining for Thor that she quits Blake's doctor's office, at least temporarily. It's also the first appearance of the Lava Man. Murder any information on him? Oh, well, he was a man made out of lava. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could have done that! <laughs> yeah, he was probably hot. Much later on, we learn that he's a distant relative of the Moloids. Uh, yeah. like the, the, there's a whole race of lava men who can yes. like, combine and that uh, comes turn into a giant yes. lava. Yeah, but uh, at, at first Become he was a just lava mountain. It's, it's a, pretty, a guy made out of lava. It's, That's it's all a pretty one-dimensional villain in his first <laughs> yeah, but, uh, appearance. He and Thor actually part on friendly terms at the end of that story, though. So <laughs> That's right. I forgot. <laughs> me no burn, Thor. So when the lava men show up in the Avengers a little later on, that one lava man is there to put in a good word for Thor with his... Hello. Oh, and, and, yeah, by the way, I'm sorry. Uh, just want to throw in there for if you haven't. We've actually come to the point now where the Avengers has come out. Issue one came out the same month, according to Comic Book DB, as Journey Mystery number 96. So now we're seeing Thor in two books. And the Avengers will start to appear in some of these issues, yes. actually, yes. as well. Well done, sir. I'm reading a screen. That's not uh, that well pants. done. It's just... It's the clutch it's moments. Instinct. You knew <laughs> which is the clutch moments. You knew the computer in front of you is the one you have to read. <laughs> Shane's here. Just like now. me, I get to push the buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Boom! Okay, now we're getting calls from the area kettles. You gotta knock it off. Don't, don't, don't get drunk with power there, buddy. <laughs> boom, 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 boom! I, 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 I just gave another one I gotta, a headache. <laughs> stave off the laughing fit that's going to emerge. <laughs> All right, now, that issue of Tales of Asgard also produces, uh, again, other characters from Norse mythology that are important. Is it Bori or Burry? Buri, Buri, who was the grandfather of Odin, Odin. so Thor's great grandfather, Bor, who was actually shown in the Dark World fighting the Dark Elves. When remember when Odin recounts that history, that was actually cool. That was and really then cool Jane style. Foster says, well, "What happened?" He just says, "Well, he killed them." Yeah, <laughs> I loved Hopkins' delivery there. Um, Ymir, is he a frost giant? Ah, uh, yes, he is, okay. and a very important uh, opponent of, of the Asgardians, Surtur, the fire demon. Mm-hmm. Who appears a lot in, in, in the Thor comics. Simonson does a lot with uh, Surtur oh, as yes, well. Oh, yes, yes, a whole lot. And, of course, Jotunheim and Muspelheim. Mu- Muspelheim? And either way. Yeah, is, is also introduced. Yeah, that, and, that is the realm of the fire demons yes. where Surtur holds sway. And Jotunheim is storm giants? Storm giants, right. But Niflheim. in the movie, they make, the movie, they make it the frost giants. Yeah, yeah. yeah getting their realms mixed up. And... Yggdrasil, the world tree, is also introduced uh, in that issue of Tales, that first issue of Tales of Asgard. So they start with like an origin story of that whole, of the nine realms essentially, and, and based on Norse mythology. So, I, I can't emphasize enough how fun the Tales of Asgard stories are. It's all Kirby art, first of all. And it's just a great melding of sort of Norse mythology with the Marvel Universe uh, essentially as it moves forward. Now, Issue 98, a pencil I always like to mention because he's often overlooked, yet he's also one of the architects of the Marvel Universe, which is Don Heck. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to remember that Don Heck 
drew many of the early issues of the Avengers, of Iron Man, and he pencils this issue of Journey into Mystery. I, 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 I think Don well, Heck the, was, the Thor story. Yes, I thank you, sir. I think Don Heck was a wonderful penciler. He especially drew uh, wonderful, beautiful women, and he often gets overlooked in the shadow of Ditko and Kirby. But he's one of the early foundational Marvel artists as well. And he should be acknowledged for that. In fact, Tomorrow has recently did a wonderful retrospective of Don Heck's career. I think it's on our bookshelf yes, over there. Yes, and I have a copy at home as well. Yep. Wonderful. Great artist. Now, in issue 98, Donald Blake is so crestfallen over <laughs> not being able to be with Jane. And when you, when you don't get the girl, where do you go? You go to India. <laughs> so Blake goes to India to try to forget Jane, and there he meets the Cobra. Klaus Voorhees, murdered, fire away. Okay, well, he's a Dutchman, and he was a... He's <laughs> <laughs> a Dutch. Dutch. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. Yes. That's Dutch. Gold member, right. Uh, yeah, he's... Um, uh, so he was a criminal, uh, a convict, and he was in a prison work release where he was working under the renowned herpetologist... Professor Ezekiel Schechter. You've got to be kidding me. You're making all this shit up, aren't you? Right off the top of my head. Herpetologist? The man's a mutant. Snake scientist. Okay. And so he was jealous of Dr. Schechter's discoveries, so he decides he's going to kill him and steal all of his discoveries. So he used irradiated cobra venom to try and off the guy and to allay suspicion he used a little on himself, too, not knowing that it would interact with his body chemistry and give him snake-like powers. So he had enhanced like strength and speed and superhuman flexibility and agility, making him quite possibly the world's greatest contortionist. And naturally, That's he right. devised some snake-based gimmicks and a special costume for himself and turned to crime, as uh, so many people do in these situations. <laughs> in the Marvel I shall universe. defeat you by contorting myself. <laughs> and in fact, one of the most beloved Amazing Spider-Man issues from the classic uh, Roger, Roger Stern, Stern era. Right. Night of the Cobra, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you even here? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say it's issue 232. Can you check that for me, Pants? Sure. All right. I got a little but one-on-one. It's my first <laughs> God, that was bleak. Come on. <laughs> it's his first introduction, my first introduction to Cobra. Remember in that story, he infiltrates the police property lockup through the sewer system to steal jewels and goes back into the sewer system as only he can shimmy, basically. Mm-hmm. His and entire uh, skeleton is so flexible. Yeah, and uh, it was – I was just really – all my ta- I always loved the costume. I was always you say hide in plain sight? Is that what you said? Yeah, I think so. 232. Well done, sir. Or Thanks. Been, or even 231. What's the title of 231? Caught in the act. All right. It's, it's one, Jeez, it's, it's the cops. It's one of those two. Now, so the, the Cobra is intro- – I, I mentioned a murder before this episode. What I was counting on for me was that – a lot of classic Marvel villains are introduced in early Thor Silver Age adventures. We're just starting to get into that right now. We've already mentioned the Radioactive Man. We've, we've mentioned um, uh, the Asgard Executioner is going to show up. Uh, the Tomorrow Man. Tomorrow Man. And the next issue, uh, issue 99, also by Lee and Heck, Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. Murd, well, go ahead. Calvin be- Zabo. Yep, right. Calvin Zabo, he was a corrupt uh, medical researcher. Uh, who believe he had this personal obsession with the story of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson, was convinced that there was a basis in biochemical fact uh, for uh, Stevenson's story that uh, the correct chemical mixture could uh, bring out the uh, well, the evil side of a person's nature and uh, thereby empower that person. And so he'd been uh, embezzling subtly from a variety of different doctors and hospitals and 
facilities he'd been working for in order to fund this little pet project of his to isolate this chemical compound. He applied for work with Dr. Donald Blake, but by this time, Zabo had acquired kind of an unsavory reputation. Nothing had ever been pinned on him, but uh, nobody wanted to hire him anymore because he was uh, considered a, th a thief. And Dr. Donald Blake told him so, and uh, thereby shot straight to the top of Dr. Zabo's shit list so that when... <laughs> As uh, bad luck would have it, Dr. Zabo finally isolated that Hyde chemical he'd been looking for, drank it, and became Mr. Hyde, this superhuman powerhouse capable of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the yeah, Hulk. Yeah, I mean, strength-wise, he's one of the most powerful villains of the Marvel Universe. He really is. Yeah. And he's also one of the most sadistic. Yes. You know, speaking of Roger Stern, you know, that uh, Invasion of Avengers Mansion story. from. Oh. Uh, it beats uh, Jarvis. It? Yes, almost yeah. to death. Um, yeah. Almost beats Hercules to death. Yeah. Come down to it. He was just crazy. Um, but, yeah, so he uh, the, then decides to go after uh, Donald Blake uh, in vengeance for having d uh, turned down Calvin Zabo's application for work. And that's how uh, he and Thor end up going at it in this issue. That's right. And um, Hyde, again, that Spider-Man story you just mentioned, that's where Hyde in plain sight, where my first exposure to Mr. Hyde. And, again, it's a classic Spider-Man story where Spider-Man is facing a villain who really has no business fighting. But he finds a way to pull it out in the end and beat him, essentially, which is classic uh, Spidey, essentially. Now, and Hyde will return. Eventually, as we're going to learn, Hyde and Cope will form their infamous team-up and will become uh, partners for a period of time. They first appeared in back-to-back -back issues of Journey and the yep. Mystery. It was, it was meant to be. Now, issue 100, <laughs> Journey and Mystery. So Thor asks, oh, look, can you make Jane immortal? Because then we can be together, and he's like, nope, I won't make her immortal. Nope. So Oda continues to deny Thor his, his heart's desire there. Nope, I'm going to take my ball and go home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, issue 101 begins the legendary Lee-Kirby partnership on Thor, continuously which will run th into issue 179 with one interruption. Now, issue 101, Zarko returns, the Tomorrow Man who Murd talked about earlier. And in the uh, Tales of Asgard backup story, we're introduced to the Rock Trolls and their Lord Gerudur. That's right. Yep, they, they are a pretty you know, significant presence in the, um, the, the world of Asgard. Well done, sir. Well done. Yeah, for some reason in my uh, Masterworks, I actually have the um, Tales of Asgard in issue 100 uh, reprinted. For that one issue? For that's the only one that I see. That's even stranger. That Interesting. Maybe they had to fill, but anyway, fill out the page count. I don't, I don't know. know. Now... <laughs> There's no master there. Now, issue 102. <laughs> this is something Odin has done more than once to Thor to punish him. He deprives Thor of some of his godly power. And, of course, the problem is that oftentimes Thor has to go into battle. He doesn't, one power. He doesn't have his full power, essentially. Dear old dad again. Now, issue 102 also in the Tales of Asgard backup is the first appearance of Lady Sif. Although she has blonde hair in this issue. Not the raven tresses we're more accustomed to. Uh, thereby raven hangs a tresses. <laughs> I like that. Mm -hmm. Thanks, honey. Go ahead, Mert. Uh, thereby hangs a tale from the old Norse myths. Yes. I, oh, I, I, here I, we go. Mert, I know I could count on you. Go <laughs> ahead. Actually a re and I, I think I this might actually have been recounted in the comics somewhere. Um, the reason why she goes from blonde to, to black-haired, raven tresses, raven tressed, um, is because uh, Loki at some point shaves off her hair as a trick or a prank. What? And uh, Odin is really pissed at him for this and uh, threatens him with all kinds of terrible punishments. Uh, yeah, so which never happens. He, anyway. he goes, <laughs> I think, to the dwarves and asks them to, uh, to produce some wrought metal hair as a replacement. So the, the, that black hair of hers is actually a wig made of iron. <laughs> okay. Fibrous iron. That's, 
It, it's, it comes right from the, uh, no, the, the old Eddas. I read the same. And uh, we should point out that Sif will not reappear until actually Mighty Thor issue 136. And the reason for that is, I'm guessing here, is that they're going to phase Jane Foster out by that point and then make Sif Thor's uh, paramour because they established that Thor and Sif were kind of, I think, grew up together and there was always this uh, ties between them. And throughout the Thor comics, Sif is often his long-suffering, you know, warrior by his side and also is always in love with him. But he doesn't always return that love because sometimes Jane's in the picture. And in fact, and they do that in the movie. That, that's very much a plot yeah, device in the movie. That in both issues. A couple times. Yeah. Sif wants to be with Thor, but he's, he's, his eyes are all set on And Odin even tries to sway him that in way. In the second film, yeah. yeah. So a lot of that's really from the comic, essentially. Now, issue 103. Oh, very, I'm sorry, Mark. One ahead. more thing about number 102. Please, please, please. This please. is very germane to the upcoming Thor Ragnarok movie. Ah, uh, number 102 in that, uh, I think that same Tales of Asgard backup, is the first appearance of Hela, goddess of the ignoble dead in the Asgardian cosmology. Well done, sir. And Hela will try to get Thor's soul on numerous occasions mm-hmm. throughout the uh, characters. Is she, is, she, is she almost taken with Thor? Am I correct in saying that, or mm, no? To the extent that a being such as she can be yeah. taken, I think she's just drawn to the possibility of possessing a soul of that kind of power. Ex- essentially, yeah, 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 much more more attracted to the idea of owning Thor than she is to Thor himself. Right now, issue one of three, a very important supporting character in in the mighty Thor's history, the Enchantress Amora. Murd, begin. Uh, well, she's uh, kind of a slut. Her name oh is Amora, God. and she is uh, a, a, a practitioner of the mystic arts. Uh, she goes around as guard, basically seducing various uh, mages and wizards. And She's a uh, powerful sorceress. Oh, yes, yeah, but yeah. She, and she adds to her power by uh, yeah. learning what these male enchanters can teach her. Yeah. And she also studies underneath Carnilla the Norn Queen. We're eventually right. told. So, yes, she has uh, – most of her magic tricks uh, are, are funneled towards a tr- uh, enhancing her own natural allure. She's a seductress of the first order. Right, right. She's uh, – ma- magic and sex go hand in hand for her pretty much. What we should point out, though, is the Enchantress has been developed over time. Yes, she has. Uh, no, what I was going to say was she's not always portrayed purely as a villain. Like there's some complexity to the character. Mm-hmm. And you also sense that in her heart of hearts, she's really in love with Thor. But she feels, but she he never, he, you know, she, she can never possess him, mm. essentially. And I think she's in love with power even more than yes. she is with him. That's a, I think that's also a fair point. Yeah. Now. Oh, and let's not forget, uh, this is the issue in which uh, Scourge the Executioner also makes his debut. Go ahead, sir. Yep. And uh, he's, we, we first meet him as uh, one of the, well, the Enchantress's many male pawns. Yeah. Since, uh, his he, mighty battle axe. Right. She strings him along throughout. Oh, for, for years she does this to poor Scourge. He is an Asgardian, right? He's half Asgardian. He's half Asgardian. Yeah, okay. he is half Asgardian and half uh, Jotun, storm giant. Okay. And so he's always been kind of an outsider as a yeah. result of that. But he's one of the most powerful warriors in Asgard. Sometimes he'll appear wearing a helmet essentially over his face, but oftentimes he'll appear without the helmet. Mm, yeah. Uh, essentially. Yeah. And I mentioned my notes here. In the beginning of our episode, Pants, again, wonderful. You played the theme music from the classic 1960s stiff-arm-moving animated <laughs> Thor series. And these issues we're looking at right here, 103 and 104, were adapted into animated episodes, which I've seen many times, where they basically <laughs> take the Kirby, they take the Kirby art 
which I'm sure he got no money for, of course. And they kind of semi-animate them, essentially. And you have, like, out-of-work Shakespearean actors delivering this, these, these lines of dialogue. Uh, it's fantastic. But have you guys seen those those cartoons? Somewhat, yeah. yeah. Just scattered here and yeah. there. Yeah. Never, never once. Oh. I'm not sure I could sit still through a whole one or not. Oh, they're a scream. <laughs> oh, they're, they're... Yeah, there's something all right. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I remember as a kid... In the early '80s, they would they would play them on. I think it was Channel Eleven. WPIX, yeah, yeah and, New York. And I didn't realize these cartoons were from the '60s uh, when they first appeared. So I'm watching as a little kid, and, and I love Marvel already. So I was in all of them, and I I, I love watching even the, even the animation is so crude, even by the standards of the early 1980s. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but I, I was just in all of them. But, but as an older man, you realize, my God, like that's that's Gene Colan art. That's Jack Kirby art. That's Don Heck art. You know, they just they just lifted it right from, and they did they did they, they would animate like mouths and an <laughs> arm or something like that. But these stories that we're looking at right now are in there now. Issue one hundred and four, I, I, I think, is a favorite of mine. All right, Odin is so ticked that Thor will not give up on Jane. That Loki convinces him to travel to Midgard to quote assert your authority in person, and then furthermore. Odin grants Loki some of his, quote, Odin power and leaves him in charge of Asgard. Loki! <laughs> the guy he banished into, the, into, in, into a tree. All right? He's now making him, come out of the tree. He's now making him the temporary liege of Asgard with some of his power. Now... What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> so, Loki in his... Okay, Dad, no problem. <laughs> in his mischief, releases Surtur... And Skag, I forgot who Skag is. Mer, do you remember Skag? I, I don't remember Skag. Some other demonic entity. And they attack the Earth. So, <laughs> Baldur and Thor and Odin b- bind together, band together, and they defeat Skag and Surtur. And Odin, you know, out of respect for Thor's bravery and his courage, he lets Thor stay in Midgard, but he says, His heart is weakened by love um, because of Jane. These are these are all these were all these issues were adapted almost in some cases panel for panel into the animated uh, <laughs> episodes. Skag is a storm giant, apparently. Thank you, sir. Issue one hundred five, as Pants mentioned, they show they show a weekly meeting of the Avengers, where the Avengers meet, and Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, inquires Thor, like, what about? Because Thor says, you know, it's so lucky that you and Hank Pym can go off together, and Janet, and Janet starts to inquire about his love life, and Hank says, wait a minute, Janet, we don't discuss people's private lives here. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love how the early years the wasp is like shown as either pining over clothes she wants to wear, or you know, is it's fascinating the way they portray women in these early stories? Because mm. I mean, the, 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 they only seem to fit them in certain categories, and that's it. it's just a fascinating time capsule. If Danny of the were culture. here, I think oh, she'd, she'd be have, raging. She'd right have now. a different word for it. She'd yeah. be raging. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd have gotten a smack upside the head for that one too. Well, I didn't write it, but <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, and he's not. <laughs> He's not uh, coming out in favor but, of it. He's just saying it's but, fascinating. But hey, at the same time, that's that's that was the world, right? That was the the culture of that time, and the art of that time, the the the, the sort of the pop culture of the time, it, it manifests itself. Yeah. And in that sense, it's it's a very interesting time capsule, uh, to say the least. And around this time, according to again my book DP, uh, Thor also appears in FF twenty five and twenty six with Hulk versus a Thing, and. Uh, the That's the cover over. where they show the FF against everybody, right? Like, aren't the X-Men in there? Uh, FF25, yeah, let me pull that up here. Mm. The Avengers. 
Oh yeah, you, well, no, you just see it's it's this cover right here. As you can take a look at that, that's twenty five. Right? Just do me a favor, just you or me, go to twenty six, please. Twenty six. All right, let me do that. Da, 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 da. I love when Pants provides himself with a soundtrack. It's fantastic. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and that was uh, what the heck was that issue number here? Oh yeah, yeah, the, the Avengers take over FF uh, twenty six. Yep. Yeah, yep. featuring a galaxy of the world's most thrilling guest stars. We have to remember that in these, the early store. Silver Age, yep. more and more, Lee and Kirby and the other artists take pains to start to create that mm. I- integrated, interlocking universe, yep. essentially. Now, issue 107, first appearance, the Grey Gargoyle. Murd? A French chemist by the name of Paul-Pierre Duval. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I've had it. Oui. Who accidentally discovers a chemical compound that... Uh, well, can cause human flesh to gain the ability to petrify anything it touches. So he rubs this all over his body and turns kind of gray and stone-like, so his body has the properties of stone. Right. But it can also imbue other matter with the properties of stone. But unlike the gray gargoyle's body itself, that which he imbues with the property of stone does not also have the power of life and locomotion. So if he touches a living being, they won't turn into a gray gargoyle themselves. They'll just turn into a stone statue of themselves. The condition is reversible, so um, you know, gar- the, the gargoyle doesn't kill his victims. He just immobilizes them, petrifies them temporarily. What reverses it, though? I forgot. Is it a, is it a formula or time? I, or uh, That I don't remember. Okay. Because um, the gargoyle, he appeared, he appeared in Thor. He appeared in Captain America. He appeared in uh, the Avengers. Mm-hmm. He was a master. Uh, of, I think he was part of that same team that included Mr. Hyde. That yeah, had, and I remember that there was a Matt Fraction Iron Man story where he used the gray gargoyle to a terrifying degree have you did you read that story pants uh does it ring a bell i think he i think the gargoyle actually immobilizes a large proportion of paris or something like that like it's it's actually horrifying mm. um so but he, again this is this is a villain that's been around since the early 60s um i'm not sure of his status right now since that fraction story but uh, again a lot of major villains are introduced in journey into mystery and the mighty thor uh in the silver age now, as I mentioned earlier, you talk about Odin having a snit and also the, the integration of the Marvel Universe. Issue 108, Doctor Strange has been wounded, <laughs> and he ne- needs the help of one of the world's foremost surgeons, which is Donald Blake. And he submits to surgery, and Blake is trying to save his life. And Odin is so ticked off that Thor is choosing Midgard over Asgard, he knocks out the electricity in Manhattan. While Blake's in the middle of this life-saving surgery. Now, Blake still saves Strange's life, but Odin's a dick, man. I, I mean, he's just... Sure is. <laughs> God, I mean, imagine this was your dad. Like, imagine like asking the guy for the car or something like that. I mean, it's going to be... What kind of hoops do you have to jump through? Yeah. I mean, it's... Woo! Now, issue 109. This oh, before we talk about please, that... Please, sir, please. One, one more quick note about number 107, actually. Uh, that was, in addition to being the first appearance of the Grey Gargoyle, it also introduced in the Tales of Asgard backup the Carnilla the Norn Queen. Go ahead, sir. Mentioned her a couple of times already. She is, uh, well, she's the mightiest uh, sorceress, female magic user in all of Asgard. You know, more mighty by far than the Enchantress, because she's the one who taught the Enchantress right. what she knows. Would you say Lokis are only equal, probably? Um, well, the two of them have worked together. Yeah. And, uh, well, yeah. Uh, actually, well, yeah, since Loki actually was dependent on her, as, as we'll see uh, 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 in a, a story a little bit further on when the Wrecker is introduced. Mm. Uh, but he, Loki actually had to go to her 
for additional power at some point. So she might actually be the superior okay. of Loki, but she's not quite the schemer that Loki is. And we should mention she's romantically obsessed with Balder the Brave. Mm. And that's, that's a recurring plot line as well. So, ah, yes. Well done, sir. Issue 109 is, is a pretty famous cover. It's uh, Thor versus Magneto. And again, bringing other elements of the Marvel Universe into Thor's world. The X-Men, of course, also appear in this story. This is the X-Men in the, their early blue and gold uniforms, the original team. Yeah, you uh, see Quicksilver in his green um, uniform uh, yes. on the cover. Oh, Masters of Evil. Yeah. Exactly. Well done, sir. So, once again, Thor is, is, is more and more, it's, it, the, the creators are emphasizing he is part of the wider Marvel Universe. That is that, that tapestry that's unfolding here before the eyes of the readers. Now, issue 110 begins the partnership between Mr. Hyde and the Cobra, who act as agents for Loki. We mentioned earlier how Loki will often recruit or manipulate proxies to, to lash out against Thor for him, and Cobra Mr. Hyde act in that capacity. In this case, issue 110, Odin, this will not be the last time, banishes Thor from Asgard. <laughs> you know, because once again, he's displeased with Thor's affection for Midgard and, of course, his passion for Jane Foster. Now, in issue 111, Odin shows his more merciful side. Jane is in dire danger, and Odin does help her. And, and help save her life. So Odin's a lot... I don't want to get the impression that Odin's all bad. He has his more benignly fatherly moments, uh, so to speak. Now, issue 112 was a classic. It's the first Thor versus Hulk confrontation. But it's kind of told as a flashback. Interesting plot device. Lee comes up with a story, Lee and Kirby, where Thor comes upon kids who are arguing, who's stronger, Thor or the Hulk? And Thor tells the kids, well, I met the Hulk once. He tells them a, t a tale from the past about Thor and the Hulk met in battle, but it was inconclusive. <laughs> there was no true winner. Now, that issue also, it's Tales of Asgard Backup is the origin of Loki, which also appears in the classic Bring on the Bad Guys, Fireside Edition, which, again, magnificent Kirby art, shows Odin and his army defeating... Now, wait a minute. In, in the story, they're not shown as frost giants. Are the Son of Storm Giants in that story? Do you recall? I, I don't think I've read it. So. Okay. So, I'll have to check that. But they show Loki taken in by Odin as a child, and they show uh, Loki scheming as he grows up as a kid, as an older kid with Thor, and they're setting the stage for that Thor's, excuse me, Loki's burning jealousy when it comes to Thor. The, these, I, I can't emphasize again how good the Tales of Asgard stuff is. It, it's magnificent Lee Kirby stuff. Now, issue 113, Thor temporarily reveals his identity to Jane Foster. That doesn't last. Uh, eventually, that's wiped away. Issue 114, pretty major baddie in the Marvel Universe. And one who's crossed over into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. First yeah. appearance, the Absorbing Man. Murd? Okay. Uh, Carl Crusher Creel. Yes. Your basic uh, tough-as-nails bad guy, you know, which can be literal in his case, as we'll see. Mm -hmm. um, he was uh, – well, he's a, a, a criminal, and he was in prison, and uh, Loki chose him as another one of his uh, proxies or mm -hmm. cat's paws mm -hmm. to strike at his uh, brother Thor. Offers him an Asgardian herbal potion to drink, which will give him the ability to absorb the physical properties of any substance he touches. And he happens to be wearing a ball and chain at the time, so it – mystically gains the same properties that he does so that it can absorb the you know the, the toughness of iron or the fluidity of water 
and so on. Um, his power set has been pretty loosely interpreted by some writers over the years. Uh, sometimes he can absorb the properties of energy. Sometimes he can absorb human intelligence. You know, sky's kind of the limit. But uh, usually it's just he touches a physical substance and he gains its properties. And he's often defeated. He's not very bright, you see, is no. Crusher Creel. So he's often defeated by being tricked into touching something that's awfully brittle or uh, vulnerable. And then he's like, it's, he, he's defeated that way. But he's, he's, a, he's probably the most powerful of supervillains in the Marvel Universe. Potentially, yeah, yeah, depending on how this power of his is used. Yeah. And he, he, he gives Thor a run for his money. Of course, as you know, Shane, he appeared at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. I mean, they interpreted him, the character, in a different way, but he sure. had the same power set. Yeah. Uh, essentially. So uh, it, was, it was really neat to see him when they first appeared. I remember Ricky said, it's the Absorbing Man. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they did him really well. Yeah, I've been pleased with the way they've crossed over characters in that show. Yeah, so that, that was that was fun to see. Of course, he'll later end up... Is Titania become his girlfriend? His wife, in His fact. wife, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, then they meet during Secret Wars. Secret Wars, that's right. He's one of the villains who's recruited mm-hmm. by the Beyonder. That's interest- it was an interesting array of villains they chose for the Secret Wars. Very interesting. Now... All right. Uh, issue 116 is a big deal in the Silver Age. The Trial of the Gods. And this is where Odin demands Loki and Thor compete against each other because he's grown weary of their constant conflict, which he feels has not been sanctioned by him. Again, the, 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 the massive ego of Odin. All right. So he wants them to sort of duke it out in this battle of physical skills and wits. Uh, to see he, who's superior. He doesn't like that they're arguing with each other because he didn't sanction it? Well, it's it's like a... I may be remembering it partially incorrectly, but if I remember correctly, he's, he's, he's grown weary of this conflict that is that is being done without his permission, kind of done privately. <laughs> so he wants them to... It's kind of like, let, go, out, go, out, go off school grounds and take care of this. Okay, off campus, guys. <laughs> so Loki, of course, will cheat because he'll get no. access to the Norn Stones. Murray, do you remember what those are? Sorry, question. Mid mastication there, sir. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> um, that didn't sound quite right. That's why I said it. But <laughs> he knows mastication. Indeed, <laughs> I have a cookie. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I remember that they're uh, powerful mystical objects uh, that Loki can wreak havoc with. But and Norns are they're a, a group of sort of like druids, I guess. They're oh no, wait, the Norns are the Asgardian Fates. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yes, Erd, Skuld, and Verdandi by name. But there's a, a trio of. Uh, Cirruses with uh, great insight into cosmic destiny, and uh, so I guess the the Norn stones are connected to them. But uh, yes, I, I don't remember what exactly the Norn stones did. Bird, how's that cookie? Very tasty. Yeah. What brand? Uh, it's a Wawa chocolate chip. They're <laughs> <laughs> opening a Wawa near me. I'm excited. Oh anyway, yeah, now. they're spreading. <laughs> it's, Wawa is a convenience store chain for those who are, you know. We're not speaking in, baby talk. You just, just sound like a venereal disease. Weird but anyway. names. Yeah. No, it's the Lenny Lenape word for goose. That, that's why a that's why a goose appears on their logo. You, you can see this, right? <laughs> Lenny, say that again. Lenny Lenape. Yeah, it's a uh, local uh, American yeah, Indian tribe. Okay. <laughs> That one I did not know. <laughs> now. Yes, yeah, it's just because he wants us to hurry up. <laughs> All right, now. Issue one. <laughs> issue 117. Talking to the mic. Issue 117. <laughs> one of the things I love about the Thor and the Silver Age is the hyperbole of the titles. Into the blaze of battle. And I, I, Thor ends up fighting communists again. I want to say in Vietnam this time. 
several Marvel heroes ended up in Vietnam. Iron Man ended up in Vietnam, of course. Captain America ended up in Vietnam at one point. It was in the news, so yeah. always trying to be topical, which oh, is sure. part of Marvel's motif. Now, issue 118, I think, is an important one for Murd. The first appearance of the Destroyer. It says here, Murd, please begin. <laughs> Ah, uh, the ultimate weapon of the All-Father, held in reserve for when he must uh, take down truly dreadful cosmic beings, and it's, it's a weapon he can use as God against God. Um, he has it sealed away in a temple someplace, and I, I think Loki is trying to seek it out to use it as a weapon against Thor, of course, uh, but it's basically this big enchanted suit of armor. Uh, you can't wear it, uh, but you can project your life essence, your astral form, into it and animate it that way. Uh, but it can only be used for destructive purposes. And I thought it was brilliantly rendered in the first Thor film. Oh, my wow. lord. That is one of the most perfect transfers yeah. of a comic character to film that I've ever seen. It, it's a big part of the reason why Thor remains my favorite uh, Marvel solo hero It's one of my franchise. favorites as well. And as you mentioned, various entities have found themselves in the Destroyer uh, some willing and some not willing, I mm -hmm. believe. Yep, uh, and they can't always control their actions no. once they're in there because the the, uh, the destroyer's programming to destroy tends to overwhelm one's will. So, um, we eventually learn, as via retcon, that Odin intended this thing to be used to defend Asgard against the Celestials when they arrived to pass judgment on uh, well on planet Earth. Magnificent. Of course, Celestials are a classic Kirby concept from the – when he returned to Marvel in the 1970s. A classic Kirby concept. Yes, spelled with Ks, all Ks. We love our alliteration here. Indeed. Now, issue 119, the tales of Asgard here is very important. Introduces some, I think, some of my favorite supporting characters in the world of Mighty Thor, which is the Warriors Three, Thandral the Dashing, Hogan the Grim, and Volstagg the Voluminous. Now, Murdy, you want, I know you want to say some things about the Warriors 3 oh, in particular. I wanted to say just that, that I'm sort of reminded of Thor and the Warriors 3 by the four of us sitting around this table. Ha-ha! <laughs> now... I don't even know who's who in that situation. I'm not going to even try to cast that yeah, movie. Yeah, not. L lately, I'm eating a lot. <laughs> now... It's been a July well, 4th weekend, so... Yeah. Great concepts by Liam Kirby. The base they created... Sort of uh, the Three Musketeers. Yeah, the Three Musketeers. Exactly, Three Musketeers. Thank you. In Asgard. And in Asgard. And of course, original characters, not from mythology at they all. They are original characters, yes. And they're they're sort of comrades in arms for Thor. Uh, each has a very distinctive personality. Fandral is basically Errol Flynn, hmm. essentially. Exactly. Uh, you know, from it, from it, Captain Blood and Robin Hood and so forth. Um, Hogan the Grim is almost an Asiatic type character in the way he's rendered. Um, he comes from a different realm in Asgard. He's not. I don't think he's Asgardian, actually. He comes from a different community, if I remember correctly. Am I correct in saying that? Right? Yes, yeah. he does have his own distinct tribe. Yeah. I think there are a couple of stories that hinge on that. And, of course, Volstagg, who is one of my favorite Thor support, or any supporting character, because Lee and other writers have had so much fun because Volstagg is this obese, vainglorious, <laughs> boastful, yet ultimately... Yep. Loyal comrade of Thor, and Thor often comments how Volstagg probably just wants to get away from his wife and kids when he goes <laughs> off on these adventures. He often refers to himself as the Lion of Asgard, and he often will stumble and then like accidentally topple and crush opponents because of his huge girth. Um, he'll find ways to avoid combat in any way he possibly can, and of course, his appetite, his mirth is legendary. Uh, is it Ray Stevenson plays him in the films? I don't know the actor's name, yeah. but uh, uh, yeah. 
obviously he's not, he's not as big as no because no one could be. But he does but a pretty good I, job. Does, I think he does a great job capturing like the persona of Volstagg because Volstagg ultimately is brave. When it, when when the poop hits the fan, he will not abandon you. But after that, all point, the things we've said in this episode, yeah. poop in the fan is what you came up with. Of course, and okay. it is Ray Stevenson. Thank you, sir. I love in the second Thor movie where they show some of the kids at the one bar or something yeah. where they're hanging out celebrating, and it was a nice touch to throw some of that. Yeah, because in there, his, his, his massive family, yeah. his incredible, insatiable appetite for not only for food but for life yeah. uh, in general. Uh, all the different nicknames he gives himself as he recounts all these battles he's in, whether they're in his imagination or not. But uh, a stalwart comrade in arms of, of Thor, of course, and often used as comic relief by Lee and subsequent uh, writers. I loved in the first Thor film, is there a Renaissance fair in town? Yeah, we got uh, Robin Hood, Xena, and Jackie Jake, Chan. Yeah, and, and yeah. It's perfect. so it's so, so perfect because you know, Fandral basically is Errol Flynn. He's Robin Hood essentially, yeah. and uh, now they had different actors portraying. Yes. But, but I thought both were great. Yeah, in their the, the one who portrayed him in the second movie, if I remember right, was supposed to portray him in the first movie. That didn't work out, so they brought in another guy, and then something changed from the B in the second movie anyway, because the first, the one in the first movie couldn't do the second movie. Right. So it was it was an interesting little. They both article. worked. It was cool. But the way they were – I think Fandral especially just stepped right out of the comic, the way he was portrayed uh, in the film. Now, that Warriors 3 in Tales of Asgard story also is entitled Ragnarok is Coming. Now, of course, Ragnarok is the twilight of the gods, and in Norse mythology, that mean, that, that'll be the, that's the end of Asgard essentially, right, where the, all the gods will be destroyed. Mm-hmm. I think in battle with themselves. Uh, well, with Loki and yeah. uh, his demonic offspring. Yeah. And so he, he rallies together a bunch of monsters and such. And, and Kirby alludes in, in these stories that Loki will be the source of Ragnarok and that Ragnarok is coming, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Murd. Marvel uses Ragnarok throughout the whole Thor comic. In fact, I think even, I want to say when they ended the first volume, I think they actually have Ragnarok happen. If I remember correctly. You mean around the time of Heroes <laughs> Reborn? I don't remember. Someone can correct me on the forums. Cause the th- uh, I don't think so. They okay. Were, yeah, they were sort of flirting with it, but they're always flirting with it. True. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thinking of before the Straczynski run when, when the Asgardians all end up in mortal form. They don't remember who they are. Oh, okay. Well, is that the, uh, the journey into, when they revived the journey into mystery? Uh? No, no. That was when they started Thor over again with, with Straczynski as the Oh, okay. Writer. So much later. Yeah. Than we'll, we'll get it. Well, if we when we continue other Thor spotlights, we'll get into that more detail. Right, because right. I'm, I'm only half remembering at the moment. I apologize for that. Now, all right. Now, issue one twenty I thought was fun because again, Lee and crew always try to put Marvel in the real world so it's relatable. So they have Thor go to Pittsburgh <laughs> <laughs> when they actually still produce steel. And uh, he goes to a foundry to, although I didn't think Molnir needed it, to repair his hammer. And there's images of, of, of steel workers looking on in awe as Thor's, you know, at, at the foundry, like, working on Molnir, essentially. So, classic Lee Kirby. Uh, they n- acknowledge that Nor- the Norn stones were used by Loki to cheat during the trial of the gods, so he didn't really win that. Uh, I m- it only is- mentioned issue 121 because I love the Marvel hyperbole. The power, the passion, the pride. And... I love these titles because, they, again, they're part of that over-the-top grandeur that more and more seeps into, the, into Marvel's uh, take on Thor. 
Now, issue 124 is a classic. The grandeur and the glory. And this is where they bring Her- – now, Hercules has already been introduced in the Marvel Universe. Uh, yes, actually in uh, Journey into Mystery Annual, which uh, came out late 1965. That's an oversight on my part. Please continue, sir. I, I don't have any more than that. It's just that's Hercules's the, – the Marvel Hercules's first appearance was in that annual. And then, of course, he'll later be a member of the Avengers, and he's, a, he's Her- that this version of Hercules has had a long history. Oh, quite a distinguished career apart yeah. from Thor in the yes, Marvel Universe. in the Marvel Universe. And it was called When Titans Clash, the annual story. Thanks, honey. Now – what happens here is, so Zeus sends Hercules to Earth because Hercules is in, in battle with Atlas or Ares. I forgot which one. And Zeus says, why don't you go to Earth to take a look at what's going on over there? And Hercules goes to Earth, and a movie producer wants to put him in the films. And he, he's producing, uh, performing different feats of strength and daring do. And in issue 125 – now, this is the last issue of Journey into Mystery. That's going to switch over the same numbering to the Mighty Thor. Marvel often did this. Once they broke out of their, their uh, distribution straitjacket, they start to produce more titles. So Tales of Suspense went to Cap, right? Tales of Suspense broke up into Captain America and Iron Man. Oh, to the numbering. The I'm numbering, sorry. The, num- yes. the numbering is Cap. I apologize. Yes. Uh, did Tales to Astonish go to the Hulk? Yes. Okay, I'm just because I know like there's You're a correct. Hulk, like there's Hulk one through and six, strange then tales went to Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Okay. Yep. Thank you, sir. I just love that kind of thing with the number. Yep. It's also for collectors. It's good to know oh, that sure, because yeah. it can be confusing if you don't know. Where's Thor eighty yeah, five? Exactly. Thor eighty five. Now issue one twenty five. This is also an animated episode. <laughs> Thor is forced to undergo the ritual of steel because Odin is again displeased with him, and he orders Thor to fight all the warriors of Asgard at the same time. And Baldur the Brave goes to Odin. He goes, Sire, I, I can't fight Thor. And he, and he goes, Thor, my friend who is more than brother to me. I remember that from the animated episode, <laughs> classic hyperbole. <clears throat> and, of course, Thor beats them all. And he goes back to Midgard. And Hercules is making moves on Jane. And Jane is so ticked off with Donald Blake and, and Thor, although she still doesn't know they're the same, and she decides to make Thor jealous, and he sees Thor sees Hercules and Jane like having lunch together or something like that. <laughs> something, something pedestrian, and of course a Donnybrook ensues. A Donnybrook, yes. you say? <laughs> wow! And Mighty Thor one twenty six. They switch the masthead, the same yep. numbering. Whom the gods would destroy? This is a very famous cover. Yes, it is. Yep. Um, where Thor, classic Kirby, like the, the big fist coming at you. And Thor and, and, and Hercules locked in uh, pugilisms, so to speak. I have a vague feeling that this was also sort of redone with Thor and Beta Ray Bill at some point, that cover image. I, mean, I could be completely off base with that. Probably in back Possibly. To, back to local si- news. I mean, you'd have to look, check that. I mean, Simon's really knew his history, so that's Certainly. very possible. Now, now, eventually, of course, Thor and Hercules come to an understanding, as the, as the Marvel heroes always do, and they end up in these fist fights. And Jane, you know, tells Thor, I was just trying to make you jealous. You know, I really love you, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they go on. Now, issue 127 is a classic Kirby cover. In fact, I'm sorry. I should have sent it to you, Shane. I apologize. Oh, the so Hammer much. and the Holocaust. Kirby kind of recreates the, the Pieta. And he shows Odin holding a, 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 a mortally or mortally wounded Thor, essentially, in his arms. Uh, classic Kirby cover. It, that's, that's issue uh, 127. Boy, I'm amazed. Issue 338 is the cover with Thor and Beta Ray Bill. 
Okay. You, you're right on the money there. Right on the money. Fairly close, on it's not the exact rep- replica yeah, of it, but it's probably in the spirit. Now, uh, that tells of Asgard issue from Thor 127, the meaning of Ragnarok. And Odin is explaining to the assembled Asgardians, and this goes into issue 120 as well, that Loki will be the cause of Ragnarok. And you can hear Deemer screaming, just kill him! <laughs> now, but then there wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be a fun story, now would there? I mean, it's ridiculous. Why would you let... <laughs> That's one of his Demon's favorite words, ridiculous, isn't it? This is so preposterous. Well done. Well done. Now, I should point out that Kirby, who's clearly well-versed in Norse mythology, when he creates the new gods, when he moves over to D.C., and I've read some background on this, it's clear that there were concepts he was thinking that he may have wanted to bring into Thor, but he was so tired of Marvel's policies, he didn't want Marvel to have ownership of these ideas. So if you read the first issue of The New Gods, have you read, have you read that issue? It's been a long time, yeah. but I have read, okay. have read it. Mm-hmm. But when it opens, he's talking about battles between the old gods that ends in their destruction. And if you read between the lines, you can tell he's probably th- writing about the Asgardians, basically. Yeah, okay, I can see that, absolutely. And yeah, then he carries over into The New Gods. It's, it's, it's a fascinating back history about how Kirby leaves Marvel and you know he didn't want to. He, he was tired of giving them concepts because he wasn't getting compensation for them or credit. See, so he, he, many historians think he brought some of these ideas and incorporated them into the new gods over at DC, uh, essentially. But Ragnarok comes up again and again, and again Kirby through Tales of Asgard shows his love for that mythology. Now, issue one twenty-eight through one thirty, uh, Thor teams up with Hercules. They introduce Pluto, the Olympian god of the underworld, Hades. And Thor aids Hercules in his, in his struggles against Pluto. Issue one thir- Now, starting with issue 131, the Mighty Thor comic really starts to take a shift into what I call Kirby cosmic grandeur. You st- he starts to put Thor more into outer space. Mm-hmm. Leaving the whole human frame of reference yeah, behind exactly. more than just about any other superhero comic had ever and attempted. I'll read here from my notes. Kirby elevated Thor from a superhero in a Viking costume to a warrior god of mythic and cosmic proportions. As the series progressed and its epic spoken grandeur increased, Lee and Kirby wove Norse myth into the fabric of the emerging Marvel universe. And even furthermore, as we get into the, into the 130s, as Merge said, he's off Earth. He's away from Asgard. He's into the galaxy. He's deep into the universe, essentially. And for me, this is some of the greatest artwork of Kirby's whole Marvel career. Basically, now, issue one thirty one. We begin with a new alien race. How do you say that, Murd? Rigelians. All right, the Rigelians. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the well, uh, also called the colonizers. That's of right. That's right. That's the name for the ruling regime. Uh, yeah. They are, well, or the agents thereof. Anyway, they go out into space and uh, scout out suitable worlds mm-hmm. to be kidnapped. Back to the Rigel system via the Rigelian space lock technology and uh, well, made a part of the Rigelian's little uh, cottage empire. Um, and, and they're, uh, they're, they're diminutive beings, aren't uh, they? They're fairly small yeah. with uh, large-ish heads. They wear helmets around their heads. Yes, yeah. yes, a great Kirby design. They're yes, sort of it is. Yep, pale yellowish skin. Um, and they're uh, a colonizer who comes to Earth to scout it out for possible absorption into the empire is uh, Tana Nile. A female Rigelian. Yes. Who pretends to be Jane Foster's... Roommate. roommate. That's right. right. She's disguised yep. as a human, yes. Yep. 
And eventually uh, Thor, well, by the example of the nobility of Thor and I guess her friendship with Jane Foster, she decides to let Earth go and allow it to retain its auto- autonomy. And I think she appears – she's a recurring character. Yes. She appears again, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I yeah She so. becomes kind of a mainstay of uh, cosmic yeah. stories. And Thor is recruited by the Rigelians to enter into the Black Galaxy. And issue 132 – and they give Thor a companion – I think this is a fascinating Marvel character, the Recorder. You know what I'm talking about here, Murd? Oh, sure. Who's sure. the recorder? Uh, well, they're humanoid uh, androids. They're basically just uh, glorified uh, recording equipment uh, with arms and legs. Um, the, the, there's there are many of them. They accompany the various colonizers out into space, and almost like an archivist recording. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, each of them has a serial number. Uh, the one that accompanies Thor on this journey is called number two eleven. And it, those who are X Men fans, if you recall the Dark Phoenix saga. As the Watcher is in the, in the climactic part of that story is watching the end of the, the Dark Phoenix, there's a recorder standing next to him who the Watcher is discussing the significance of the events that they're observing. Now, Shane, if you go to my uh, the, Thor 133, please. I think this is one of Kirby's greatest concepts, just, in, just being so far out. Ego, the living <laughs> planet. Behold. A planet with a face and a beard. <laughs> but it's awesome. Murd, go ahead. Well, that's, uh, that kind of covers it. I mean, it's, uh, every single molecule on that planet is a part of the same organism. It's described by Kirby as a sentient living bioverse. And it's, it's if, you've, if you've ever read the first appearance of the all-new, all-different X-Men, where they fight uh, Krakoa, the island that walks like a man, right. it's the same thing on a planetary scale. The whole world is all part of the same collective intelligence. So if you land on ego and ego perceives you as a threat, like antibodies will spring up from the, 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 the terrain to fight you, it's, but it's all controlled by this one entity. Mm-hmm. And we did our, our uh, Fantastic Four John Byrne spotlight. We talked about how Byrne brought the FF to ego and how they had to descend into the bowels of the planet, the crushing pressure. Uh, and so forth. It's, it's a great concept. Yeah. And when Kirby renders it, he starts playing around with those special – I don't even know what word to use – those uh, sort of photo reproduction graphics that he, uh, he used. In Actually, the- thank you, Mer. Perfect subject. <laughs> Shane, go to my uh, collage page that I sent you. Ba-boom. And that shows Thor and the recorder who, who becomes a, a close companion of Thor and almost has human-like – Characteristics. Mm-hmm. Yep. As I recall from his entry in Ohatmu, he's one of the very few recorders that the Rigelians allowed to retain his that, memory. And that was at Thor's request. Right. They Actually. usually get their minds wiped after every assignment, but not this one. Number 211 witnessed such spectacles of cosmic grandeur and exactly. glory that, that uh, he was allowed to retain his memories thereof. But the image Shane has on the screen, one of the most cutting edge aspects for me of Kirby's art in the Silver Age was he would use collages. The Fantastic Four, for example, in the classic issue 51, this man, this monster, when Reed enters the negative zone, he did this in other issues of Fantastic Four and also here in Thor. Kirby incorporates multimedia to create these just – to use uh, Shane's vernacular, these fantastical worlds <laughs> and, and so the, these dreamscapes. I mean it's amazing. And it's just no one else was doing this in comics. This has to be emphasized at this time. I'm thinking, um, great space coaster. <laughs> well done, sir. But so, and I, 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 I'm so envious of readers of that time pants who, who were there when it was happening. Open yep. a book like that. They plunked down their 12 cents, and that's what they got. I mean, man. Oh, God, 12 cents. Talk about your, mon- <laughs> talk about your money's worth. Oh. 
quite a jump from to three ninety nine, huh? <laughs> now, now, we should mention that the Eagle Living Planet isn't necessarily evil per se. Nope, no more than Galactus. Yeah, and, and he, he, we're going to talk about because Galactus is going to show up soon in these stories, and Eagle will play a role in that <laughs> as well. Issue one thirty four is all murdered. It's the first appearance, I think, of a fascinating Kirby concept. Oh yes. The High Evolutionary and the Knights of Wondagore. Go ahead, Murd. Uh, which had been kind of uh, foreshadowed subtly in the, the couple of issues leading into it. We get we meet a couple of his new men before we meet the High Evolutionary himself. Or anthropomorphic animals who ride Oh, the evolved land. animals. Yes. Yep. Right. They ride these mechanical steeds, essentially. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so, yes. Uh, so the high, he was, his name was uh, Dr. Herbert Edgar Wyndham, and he was a biologist who was fascinated by the study of evolution. Um, and he set up shop on Mount Wondagore, which uh, ties him in with Quicksilver it's and like the Scarlet Witch. like a Balkan Witch. nation. Yes. Basically. Well, in Transia, yes. Yeah. Tran- yeah, Transia is the tiny little – and uh, it's, it's a kind of a nexus of black magic because the elder demon Thawne is entombed beneath it. But uh, science – meets this black magic science. then because science exactly because the high evolutionary sets up his laboratory there and that's actually where the uh, the, the twins of magneto uh, quicksilver and scarlet witch are born and uh, one Not of all the history in wondergore yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's also where the puppet master's magic clay comes from yes um, so yeah the, the 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 twins are actually raised by one of the high evolutionary's experiments one of his first evolved new men as he uh, calls them um, the, the very first Right, Bova, an evolved Cowwoman. cow. Yep. Yes. Uh, the very first one he ever evolved was his pet dog. Uh, then he also uh, – there was also Porga, Sir Porga, and Count Tagar, who we are introduced to in the pages of uh, the, the, the last couple of issues of Thor before this one. They're a pig and a tiger, respectively. And they're, they're more human than a lot of the other animals. And actually, when you think about when Kirby goes over to DC and does Commandy, yes. he continues that theme with, with – uh, human-like animals. One hundred percent. Yes, this is definitely like a proto-commandy kind of thing happening here. Uh, but so he evolves these animals, and uh, when he discovers that Porga and Tagar suffer the resentment of some of his other experiments, he decides not to make them quite as human. What are you laughing at now? <laughs> when you said something, I text pants went, Mama! <laughs> <laughs> We're falling apart, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> now, not that late, but so anyway, he's a scientist who specializes in evolution, and he manages to evolve himself to a near godlike state. So it's only fitting that this self-made god of science should encounter this god of ancient mythology. Because the high evolutionary, as he, as they develop the character, he's not really human anymore. Correct? No. No, he isn't. Like inside that armor, is he even a man anymore? Uh, at the, at, he's kind of up and down. Okay. There are times when he becomes he, basically he a gorilla. Fight, does he in, fight Galactus at some point? He does become powerful. He's basically sentient energy inside yeah. of that armor at times. But it's kind of a winding way he walks. His evolutionary state fluctuates. He's been like right. a gorilla inside of that suit at other times. Fantastic. Now, issue 136 is actually an important issue in Thor's history. Odin finally relents... And he agrees to make Jane immortal so she can live among the gods. But and this is a great story by Lee and Kirby. Jane can't cope. She can't handle being an Asgardian. And Odin sends her back to Midgard. He wipes her mind of the whole experience. And then they bring Sif back into it. And Thor and Sif begin to rekindle the romance. They kind of phase Jane out of the book for a while. She'll pop up once in a while in the future. But she's more or less gone. So... Whereas Jane was such a, a mainstay of, of the Donald Blake Thor persona and, and, and their sort of their pr- private world, they, they, they move her out. And I, I'm just guessing, but it may be in keeping of, with 
the fact that Thor is now it's so it's so grand now in its scope, it's so epic, and he's now out in space. Probably not a room a lot of room for Jane yeah. in that sense. So yeah. they they kind of they move her out. Although she'll she'll return she'll return eventually. Now issue one thirty seven is the first appearance of Ulick. Troll, correct, Murray? Oh, yes. Go ahead. Uh, he's just one of the biggest and baddest of the trolls. He's mm. kind of like the Clubber Lang of the troll set. <laughs> Call goes out from Gerador, king Lang. of the trolls, to find a champion to take Thor down, and he volunteers. He's huge. He's got these big, basically brass knuckle things he wears on his hands. They're pounders, I think they're called. Like metal bands mm-hmm. he wears around his hands, and he uses those as striking weapons. And uh, he fights Thor. Yes. He's really not that complicated a character. But he'll pop up. A lot, yes. A lot, yeah. Now, uh, issue 140, Kang the Conqueror shows up manipulating a being called the Growing Man. Ah, yes, Go- he's a stimuloid, which is a kind of android that is that uh, increases in physical size, as, uh, and the, these increases, are, these growth spurts are stimulated by the absorption of kinetic energy. So basically, the more and the harder you hit him, the bigger he will grow. And Kang, of course, is using him as an agent, essentially. Again, we, we often forget how powerful Kang is. Yeah. And again, I think the Avengers Forever story does such a wonderful job of really capturing, you know, just the grandeur of Kang as a, as a villain. Uh, we mentioned how Loki we use agents. Issue 142, the Super Scroll we've talked about before in our Fantastic Four spotlights. Loki's using him as a proxy against Thor. So there's a long line. We mentioned Cobra, Mr. Hyde, uh, Zant- Sandu, and now the Super Scroll being used as pawns of Loki, essentially. Now... Issue 143, Back to the Origins of Marvel Comics, such a cherished issue of mine. Again, it's one of the first Thor stories I ever wrote, the introduction of the Enchanters, who were powerful sorcerers who tried to overtake Asgard. This is one of my first exposures to Kirby Armor. Shane, if you could go back to uh, Thor 143 uh, splash page. Already please. done. Johnny on the spot over here. Wow! I never thought the mighty Thor would come waltzing in here to slurp a soda that way. Even a thunder god may feel the pangs of thirst. From now on, that drink's to be known as my Asgard special. Alas, I find I have no earthly corner of the realm upon my person. But if that will permit me to charge yon frothy drink, forget it, mister, it's on the house. And then the kids are asking to tell them stories of Asgard. But what I loved about this was it's classic Marvel. This is why I think Marvel was so popular in the Silver Age. You have a superhero coming in, a, a god basically, to have a soda. And I remember when Wade was writing Captain America, he, he, he did a tribute to the store. Cap and Thor are in like, like at, a, at, a, at a, a restaurant, and, and Thor orders like a root beer float or something. And, and Cap says, just go with it to the guy who's behind the counter. Um, but these are the touches that made Marvel, I think, so special in the 1960s. That, that they were trying to remind us, you know, you know, this could be in your world. Like you could be go in your favorite soda shop and Thor shows up to have a drink basically. Yeah. And that's that's what I think we gave Marvel such such a foothold in comics, and that it grew from essentially. I should also mention, by the way, in this issue, inking by Bill Everett. Now, for much of Lee Kirby's run, Vince Coletta inks Thor. Now, for those who are really into Kirby's art, there's there's some really controversial and very passionate views on Vince Coletta's inking of Kirby. Pants may be familiar with some of this controversy. For example, uh, some people feel that Coletta did Kirby's pencils a disservice because Coletta had a reputation of being a very fast inker, so he was always in demand because he got work done quickly under deadlines and so forth. But some people feel that he did the pencils a disservice by his fast inking. Like he, he'd, he'd 
he'd obfuscate details they put in there. I remember reading that John Buscema couldn't stand Coletta's <laughs> inks, for example. I've heard other uh, bad things about yeah. him too, but but other people, you know, are fans of his work. I'm, I'm not saying one or the other. I'm just presenting with what some of the opinions are out there about Coletta. I do know from what I've read though, that that Kerb really liked Everett as an inker. And I remember Bill Everett is, was a living master. I mean, he created the Samaritan. I mean, he was mm-hmm. – unfortunately, this is right at the end of his life. Everett died in 1973. Uh, he smoked and drank heavily through uh, much of his life. Uh, so this, he's inking here. Marvel brought him back. They gave him work, which was to their credit. And he was penciling. He was inking. He was inking Kirby in some of these issues of Thor. Now, issue 148 is the first appearance of the Wrecker. Murd, what's the significance of the Wrecker? Oh, I'll be happy to, to, to claim on that at length. But what, let me jump back to sure, number sure. 145 quick here because that was, that, that's the end of the Tales of Asgard backup. That's right. Series. Thank you for reminding me. Um, which was actually replaced by the Inhumans as a second feature right. in, in Thor for uh, until issue number 152. And then the backups just ceased altogether. Yeah. So the end of an era, you might say. Well done, sir. Well done. Um, so, yeah, the Wrecker. Okay. So here, here's another intersection of human and Asgardian might. Um, so the Wrecker was a guy named Dirk Garthwaite. Uh, he was just a, a burglar. His trademark was to take a crowbar with it. He had worked construction until he was fired for his temper tantrums. And so he took this crowbar along, and he would wreck the sites of his robberies as sort of his calling card. Uh, one day, he broke into a hotel room where Loki, who was temporarily on the outs with Odin and was marooned uh, on Midgard. <laughs> In a flop house, yeah. Okay. And he had to, as I mentioned earlier, he had to go crawling to Carnilla, the Norn Queen, his sometime ally, to provide him with extra Asgardian power. Um, but uh, before Carnilla could arrive to give him this, the record broke in and brained Loki, <laughs> the, the trickster god, with a crowbar. And then Carnilla flashed into the hotel room. Because the record decided uh, spontaneously, hey, check out this guy's fancy headdress. I think I'm just going to try this on. <laughs> so it's dark in there. Carnilla z- zaps in, says, oh, you, you're wearing the horned hat. You must be Loki. Okay, zap. There you go. Asgardian power. Knock yourself out. And she teleports out again. So that's how this... <laughs> this stumble bum, this 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 Bronx burglar, ends up with the power of an Asgardian god, and he becomes he becomes very powerful. Yes, yeah. and his crowbar, you know, similar to Carl Creel's wrecking ball, getting yeah. his absorbing powers. The wrecker's crowbar becomes as strong and indestructible as he is, and he goes on this major crime spree around New York. And only the Thor, Thor, shows up to try to stop him, and the wrecker basically beats him to death with his enchanted crowbar. And in fact, at issue 150, Hela tries to claim Thor's soul because he's so near death as a consequence of that confrontation. Now, of course, Thor is able to prevent that from happening, and he goes on to claim victory. But it's a reminder – the Wrecker is, is, a, is a bad, bad mother fudger. I mean he's somebody you don't want to mess with when he has that enchanted crowbar. And then, of course, later on they'll form the Wrecking Crew. They don't appear here, but – Right. Down the road a little bit. So, and they're all in the Secret Wars story back in the 80s as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. Now, issue 151, we mentioned how you can get trapped in the Destroyer and not have control, but Sif ends up trapped in the armor of the Destroyer, and uh, she's in jeopardy there. Issue 154 is the first appearance of Mangog. Murder, you know any key details about him? Uh, okay, I mentioned earlier that there was a, a second tribe of Asgardians called the Vanir. Yes. Uh, this is where they come into play because Mangog is the living embodiment of the sheer hatred of, quote, a billion billion souls of the Vanir who were apparently exterminated by Odin millennia earlier. Good old Odin. 
Yep, he continues to be a dick. And Genocide. <laughs> so this, this Mangog creature arose from their cries for vengeance, and it's one of the most powerful, unstoppable beings in all the cosmos. Loki, of course, lets it free. <laughs> and so Mangog immediately makes a beeline for that uh, oversword thing you mentioned yes, earlier. Yes, which can, if it's pulled from when its drawn, sheath can summon Ragnarok. Right, yeah. so Thor has to f- stave it off. And uh, I think finally uh, Odin solves the problem by just resurrecting the Vanir. Uh, whose hatred fueled Mangog's existence. If you could have just done that millennia (laughs) earlier, this whole mess could have been averted, of course. Uh, But so by doing this, the the Vanner, since they were alive again, suddenly weren't that angry or feeling hatred. So Mangog, being the personification of their hatred, dwindled down to tiny size and was easily captured in a bell jar or something and and thus passed the uh, threat of Mangog. But up to that point, it was one of the most powerful and deadly threats Thor ever faced. Yep, and that, uh, his battle with it went on for like three or four yeah, issues. Yeah, it's, it's lengthy. Issue 155, we should, I mean, we've, we've referenced this before, we, it's Carnilla and her obsession with Balder, and tr- she tries to basically capture Balder and, and so he can live with her in, his, in her realm, essentially. She, she's, and, and Silence will pick up that plot line as well when he's writing Thor on the 1980s. Now, issue 158 and 159 are very important because th- this explains... What or who is Donald Blake? Yeah, which I never knew this. Yes. I never knew this either. So I did. <clears throat> of course you did. <laughs> issue, <laughs> ha! issue 159 is known as the answer at last. And in issue 158, Donald Blake is wondering, like, who am I? Am I Donald Blake? Am I Thor? And who am I? It's <laughs> Ah, Shaney. It's uh, Odin reveals that Donald Blake was never an actual separate human being. Donald Blake, basically when Thor was younger, he had no humility. He ended up in tavern brawls and he was, you know, boastful and vainglorious and so forth. And Odin wanted to teach his son humility befitting a king, although I think Odin needs less humility as well. But (laughs) anyway, so, especially if you're reading Thor right now, but anyway, so he, he decides to erase his son's memory and he casts him in the form of this lame – lame meaning he's, he's crippled, this lame doctor, Donald Blake, who was, who was not a real person. He, Odin invented him basically as a human uh, construct for Thor. So whatever memories he has of Donald Blake are not – they're artificial. He's really Thor essentially, but he doesn't realize he's Thor. So – you know he's a, he's a renowned surgeon because also Odin wanted to be, become a healer to, to have empathy right for the wounded the, the sick the, those who are weaker etc. And eventually over time and the readers don't realize this until we get into these issues that Donald Blake was never a real separate person that Odin invented him essentially to teach Thor humility. So while the Donald Blake identity will continue for quite some time in the Thor book. Into the Bronze Age, actually. Um, it, it's Thor. It's always been Thor. And, and in these stories, Thor realizes, I, I'm, 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 I'm one and the same. Thor and Donald Blake are the same person, essentially. Donald Blake is just a human manifestation, <clears throat> so I could learn the ability that Odin wanted me to understand. Now, when you get into the Straczynski era, you read these stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have stories where Thor is talking to, like, a manifestation of Donald Blake because it's, sure. like, it's like part of him essentially. It's part of his memories. It's part of his psyche. It's part of who he is 
But Donald Blake is not a separate living person. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? It, it, it's Thor, essentially. Do you want to add to that, Murph? Uh, well, yeah. There's, there is one somewhat minor story from please, uh, please. Roy Thomas's second run on the character in the mid-90s. Okay. Where he establishes that there actually was such a person as oh, Donald I didn't know this. Blake please at one point. But yeah, yeah, Odin just kind of used him as a template for this okay. construct that he stuck Thor into. Okay. So, so there was a Donald Blake, but uh, he never became Thor. Okay. Yeah, it's just, he was just used as the, the basis for this uh, human shell that uh, Odin well done, assigned sir. to Thor. Well done. I counted on that. Thank you, Murray. I didn't know that. Now, again, if you go to the movie... They make that one-off reference to Jamie used to be with this guy named Donald Blake. She yeah. gives Thor his shirt. He says, yes, this, this shirt will suffice. Um, and then they have him pretend to be Donald Blake when he tries to break into the S.H.I.E.L.D. facility. Yeah. Steroids! Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, that – if you don't know the history of Thor, you have no idea who they're talking about uh, essentially because that, that's all gone now. I mean the, the last we see of Donald Blake as far as I can remember is when Straczynski uses him as like a, a – like, like a like a sounding board. Yes, to exactly. Talk, a sounding board that Thor talks there. to, yeah. essentially, because it's 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 his human side, basically. So that, that's interesting because like, I had not known that, and I didn't really think about it. But it's like, yeah, I've never seen Donald Blake because I didn't read the Straczynski stuff. I yeah. just started up with uh, the Jason Aaron stuff. Because doesn't the Straczynski run that first issue start with Donald Blake, and then somehow well, those issues him... Thor is trying to. Re- Find all the Asgardians because they're they're trapped. In, remember, Loki is a woman, right? Essentially, right. they're great stories. They're all in these human forms. They don't remember who they are, and he's traveling around. To, and remember, Sif is trapped as an old woman, and she's dying essentially. Yeah. And he's traveling around trying to get them to remember who they are and so forth. Uh, the Straczynski run is is I think is a classic. Yeah. And the, and the art by Olivier Coypel on oh, that beautiful. is 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 breathtaking. So. Um, but that's 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 the, the in a nutshell that's Donald Blake, uh, okay. essentially. Now issue one sixty and now Galactus. Shay, be so kind as to bring up that image. This is one of my favorite Silver Age Thor covers. Um, and again, Galactus isn't just in the Fantastic Four, right? He's a cosmic entity. You know, part of the Marvel universe, part of the fabric of the universe, essentially. And this this involves Eagle the Living Planet. Uh, in issue 161, beings known as the Wanderers, who Thor, the Wanderers, and Ego actually all work together to drive Galactus away because he's going to consume more planets. The Wanderers are survivors of the very first planet Galactus ever consumed, by Thank the way. Thank you. The planet Archaeopia. And I just got a chill. <laughs> just got a jolt of electricity right up the spine. And the, actually, Ego invites the Wanderers onto his planet. Onto itself, I should say. And actually, when Byrne does the FF issue, I think he mentions that, that the, I think Ego actually consumed the Wanderers uh, eventually. But th- this, is, this is classic cosmic Kirby, just in grand epic style. I can't emphasize how magnificent these issues are just from a visual standpoint. I mean, they are beautiful. Uh, and I can only imagine what the original art goes for for these stories. Yes, yeah, if you can find it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, issue 163, Lee continues with the whole notion of Galactus where Odin is pondering the origin. Like, where does Galactus come from? What is Galactus? And they're going to pick that, that thread up for a little bit. Murray, I think you'd be interested in issue 165. 
him. Ah, yes. Go ahead, The saga of Adam Warlock. Yes, continue. Yes, another case of, uh, well, science meeting mythology here. It's uh, because him was the perfect human being designed by a group of uh, human scientists uh, calling themselves the Enclave. And uh, goes back to Fantastic Four. Exactly, yes. And so they created this golden-skinned humanoid known only as him. And he was kind of uh, childlike, so we yeah. say, uh, naive as to the ways of the world and of the cosmos beyond it. And uh, so he, this is kind of another stage in his gradual evolution into Adam, the messianic figure that would be Adam Warlock. Which, of course, Starlin picks up on and runs with. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, well, Roy Thomas before that. That's too. true, yes. He started uh, the Warlock series. Yep. Right. Uh, but at this point, he's not even Warlock yet. He's still the, ch- the innocent childlike him, and he's venturing beyond his native world for the first time into space, and he tries to mate with Sith. Yes. And this plunges Thor into what's known as the warrior madness because he's trying to save Sif, which of course he does. And to, to punish to punish him for succumbing to the warrior madness, Odin tells Thor, your punishment is to go out to the universe and find the secret of Galactus. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want you to travel out into the distant into space and find out what Galactus' origin. Because in previous issues, Odin was pondering what is the origin of Galactus. So Odin is concerned about what can I do to protect Asgard and and the nine realms and Earth if Galactus returns, essentially. So Thor travels out there, issues 168 to 169, the awesome answer. And Lee and Kirby give the, the origin of Galactus. Now, I should mention John Bermelitter modified this origin. In the original version, he's still from the planet Ta, but he's, he, he's, he's still he's – from, he's from, comes from the planet because the, everyone on the planet Ta is dying from a plague. And plague. Some, some survivors – Rocket away from it, and eventually their 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 ship is destroyed. But Galactus is consumed by this energy, and that which makes him into Galactus. Now, when Burn takes over in the FF, he established that Galactus was, was from a civilization prior to the Big Bang, and that like it's I think it's dying of entropy or something like that. The, the, the last survivors of the civilization's name is Galen, and he goes out into space, and I think he's consumed by the Big Bang. If I remember correctly, right, uh, and and he's. He gets well, not consumed exactly, but he's uh, he a cosmic egg forms yeah. around him. So yes. he's he gestates in the birth of the big, uh, the, yeah, the, the birth of the new universe, and it therefore becomes part of the order of things of this new universe. Like Galactus is part of the natural order of this new universe, right? So Lee and Kirby sort of start that story. Burn then takes it further, and and he, I think he does a book, The Origin of Galactus, if I remember correctly, John Byrne. But he, he runs with it in more detail. But it starts here in these issues. But again, it's, it's Kirby doing Galactus. It's it's just awe inspiring. All right, these images. Now, again, I'm trying to be topical. Issue one seventy one. Uh, there's a civil rights activist named Pedro Luis Lopez who was shot, and there's a concern about there'll be massive riots if he dies. He may have been an analog for Martin Luther King Jr. And Blake, of course, has to perform surgery to save uh, this important civil rights leader's life again. Marvel always trying to make the stories seem relevant, seem like they're something that people could – this could be in our world essentially. 172, Jane Foster appears, but now she's with another doctor. She's in another relationship, so she and Thor are not romantically joined uh, at this point. Issue 173, Ulick returns. And is this a favorite of yours, Mark? The Circus of Crime? Uh, sure. <laughs> the, the ringmaster, right? Mm-hmm. The ringmaster and yeah. his usual gang of uh, criminal performers who he hypnotizes the crowd and then the performers rob them while they're entranced. Yeah. <laughs> 
he he appears and he appeared in other Marvel titles. Oh like yeah, Amazing Spider-Man. All over I want to say uh, he's encountered the Hulk a bunch yeah. of times. So he also pops up in Thor a couple times again, just showing how no Marvel character had a sole claim on any one villain. They could appear anywhere, mm-hmm. essentially, and that's part of the fun. Issues one seventy five to one seventy seven. You have a massive dynamic between Surtur, Loki. They also have the concept of the Odin sleep. Remember what that is, Merton? Mm-hmm. It's when uh, Odin periodically must uh, go into sort of a comatose regenerative state in order to recoup his Odin power. And during which time he's uh, kind of vulnerable and uh, the realm can be run into the ground by well, people like Loki who might try to seize power while he's uh, napping. And that happens several times. Yeah. And uh, in fact, in the, in the Thor movie, they have him in the Odin sleep. Yeah. Um, so. Do they ever mention if, if Odin needs the Odin sleep, did his father and grandfather have something similar? Or is Odin the only one that needs the Odin sleep? Yeah, I think I Odin, that. he's something a little different from what his ancestors had been. I don't okay. think either of them were really all fathers, okay. per se. Except about how he uh, acquired the, uh, the powers of his brothers, Vili and Vey, and uh, that allowed him to become something more than any other Asgardian ruler before him. Okay. Good enough. Well done, Mert. Now, issue 177 is a classic cover. I didn't send that to, when you, that to you, uh, Shane. I should have. But another just famous Kirby pose when it comes to Thor. And, of course, Thor is issuing the clarion call, For Asgard! <laughs> now, uh, issue 178 uh, is the first issue without Kirby. It's John Buscema penciling, which, of course, there's no slouch either. And, that, again, the abomination is, the, is it Thor's opponent mm-hmm. in that story. Next best thing to Thor versus Hulk. Exactly. And then issue 179 is the final Lee Kirby issue. It's 1970. Kirby's probably already left Marvel, I would imagine, by this point. And in it, Loki and Thor switch bodies, so Loki up to mischief again. Of course, that doesn't work out for him ultimately. Uh, but it's the last Kirby issue of Thor. Hmm. And, of course, by this point, I'm sure because the publisher's got he's already left for DC you know, by this point. He's working on the new gods and so forth. As we mentioned, he probably brought some of his Asgardian concepts, and my guess is he brought them over to the uh, new gods. Now, any questions before I, I touch upon a, a few final themes here? Nope. No, sir. Nope. Shay, would you go to the collage, not the collage, the blacklight image, please? Uh-huh. Bazinga. <laughs> now, in terms of multi. Murder, uh, it's. The, uh, God, it's so, it's so you. Dude, my hands are huge. <laughs> <laughs> They can touch anything but themselves. <laughs> oh wait! <laughs> Actually, can you read the? Can you read the? Uh, uh, it's a little bit too fuzzy. The word balloon. Here. Let me try to read because it's fantastic. Hold on. I can't get it. Let me. I lie still. I lie still and silent. Strip my mind of earthly thoughts. Oh, fantastic! So it's Donald Blake slumbering, and you, in his imagination, you see Thor and Asgard and the Bifrost, the Rainbow Bridge, in pure black light. These posters yes, are so expensive, if you can even find them. Really? Oh, yep. triple digits easily. Really? Yes. It's one of my holy grails. I want one of these posters. <laughs> it's hard to even find them intact. So, well, I've seen some that are like, kind of torn up, for example. Well, were they um, kind of velvet felty? No, or no just, just paper. No, they're paper. paper. Okay. But they're really hard to find. Huh. Um, I gave my and for a comic uh, book uh, shop owner to say that, yeah, they're very hard to find. Yeah, <laughs> I know you've traveled the breadth yeah. and length of this great land looking for these. Indeed, sir. And mm-hmm. I, I see them on occasion, but I just, like I saw a Hulk one, I just didn't. It was like 150 bucks. I didn't have the money. Yeah. 
I did find some of the cards that gave one to Murder of Doctor Strange. Right. Hmm. But I love them. But th- this is an example of multimedia Thor in the Silver Age. And, of course, the classic animated series. This is 19 – I want to say it was 66, I think. They did Thor, Submariner, Iron Man, and Captain America and the Hulk. You all know the Captain America theme song. When Captain America throws his mighty shield. All right. So Pants played the Thor theme before. They're a hoot. They even had an, ish, an episode. I forgot if it's Cap or, or Thor where they had the, all the Avengers come together, actually. But it's the original art just with sort of very crude stop-motion animation techniques, essentially. Was that the same uh, era where they used in um, the first Iron Man movie as his cell phone song? Was one of the old Iron Man Tony cartoons? Stark. It's kind of a jazzy theme. Something like probably. that. Probably. Yeah, probably. Probably. Go back for a second. Please. Just surfing eBay. Please. Uh, there is a mint uh, Marvel uh, Black Light Thor poster for six hundred dollars. <gasps> right. That's it. Right. Six hundred dollars. Yeah. Wow. 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 <laughs> All right. Enough of this wow stuff. Wow. My friends, that's my humble best, the mighty <laughs> Thor in the Silver Age. <laughs> no, nothing humble about it, my friend. It's closing comments, reflections, or queries. Uh, I learned some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I become more educated. (laughs) Several hoots for this episode. Several hoots. Okay. I would also mention that I hope to return to Thor down the road with additional spotlights. Because sure, lots more to say. The Thor comic has such a rich history. Just we talked about the Straczynski run, which is just one small part, really, of. The whole character's history. I mean, when you get in the Bronze Age, Jerry Conway does scripting. Roy Thomas, you've got beautiful John Buscema artwork uh, in, in a lot of the Bronze Age, for example. Simonson stuff in the 80s is, is for some people, that is the definitive Thor. And I, I think Brian Deemer is a big fan of the Simonson mm-hmm. Thor. I have he the is. first two trades uh, of that. I haven't that's, read it yet. I mean, that's tremendous stuff because he, he brings a lot of the Norse mythology into it uh, as well. The Straczynski run is fantastic. Um, and the stuff Jason Aaron's been doing for the past couple of years, I, I've been enjoying Ugh, yes. thoroughly. Now, uh, there was a lot of good stuff in here. I had no clue. I've never, uh, unlike other spotlights that you've covered, these, I've never read any of these at all in any way, shape, or form. All the Marvel Masterworks are out there um, um, in softer hardcover with all these stories. On so. a side note, I think if somebody wanted to take this kind of an episode to the next level and you were of age, a drinking game of any time Chris says now would be <laughs> and a half. It is one of my favorite transitional words now, isn't it? That's okay. It was. It was. I, I'm, I wish I would have started counting. Uh, that would have been a little. You got to be able to drive home, though, my friend. Good little statistic. Because I'm having a lot, lot of drinks. Yeah. Let me tell you. You got to do this at home when you're listening to it. <laughs> Brethren, I've shot my bolt. As always, I thank you. It was an honor. Thank you. If there's nothing else from the gathered, Mm-mm. all right, then uh, we'll wrap it up. Look forward to more spotlights in the future, but don't hold Hell to yeah. a time. They're going to come out whenever we want them to come out. <laughs> and this episode, once again, was brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com. You can go to for all of your Superhero Stuff. <laughs> Visit us at ComicGeekSpeak.com. To send us an email, the address is ComicGeekSpeak at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, the number is 267-702-6642. Stop by thecomicforums.vanillaforums.com. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Thank you to everyone who contributes to the episodes. We appreciate it. 
Um, I think I heard recently a call for more Muddle the Murds in an episode I was listening sure, to, so yep. do that. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. <laughs> Rainbow Bridge of Asgard, where's the booming 